I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. All out of bubblegum. fucking Mark Twain shit, because it's definitely getting chisel on your tombstone. personal entertainment yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah i play it for my friends this is my podcast <laughs> <I'd gun laughs> <laughs> If you have any guesses, because everybody always guesses what my how to say my name, it's very cool. simple. It's just it's just Vincent. Um, that E is there for show. I don't know. Ask my mom. Uh, <laughs> very good. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So just Vincent. I, I, it's always funny. I always forget to tell people. And they're like Vincente, and I'm like, God right. damn it. <laughs> no, that that was good. I'm not that Italian. So I, sh- I shouldn't say it with a marginally racist Italian accent. Vincent yeah. <laughs> It's the only Vincente. way. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, yep. I mean, if we were in Italy, that'd be one thing.
Hello and welcome to Who Will Survive Horror Podcast. This is another bonus episode where Marco and myself are here to interview somebody from a current movie that we had uh, just recently checked out. Uh, with me is Marco, like I mentioned. How's it going, buddy? It's going, man. Long time no talk. Yeah, right. <laughs> Uh, I know we were just on for a few hours the other day. No problem. Cool. So the movie here is, uh, again, our, our timing is always great with these things. So we just missed Friday the 13th. That we I know. Should have planned this out better and had this out I know. before Friday like... the 13th, but I'm sure there'll be another Friday the 13th at some point. <laughs> right. There right. always comes back, just like Jason. Uh, so this exactly. this movie is a little, little uh, fan film known as Never Hike Alone. Uh, this came out late last year, and it is, um, it's, you know, not an official Friday the 13th movie, so it's right. all distributed for free through YouTube and, um, you know, made as, uh, I guess, more of a tribute so that, the, you know, no one can make any money technically off of the distribution of this since it wasn't officially licensed. And we wanted to kind of find out a little more about how that worked and the making of the movie mm-hmm. and uh, just something that I had heard people talking about this before it came out. And kind of got excited. And, you know, some of our friends have, like, Friday the 13th podcasts and are big fans of it. And so the word had been going around. And, you know, I, I saw this last year. I really loved it. I checked it out again this year on Friday the 13th. And we reached out to the guy who had uh, wrote and directed this as well as played Jason himself in the movie. Yes. And that is uh, Vincent DeSanti. Or as hey, we, guys. Hey, what's up? <laughs> or as we were saying in the preamble, uh, Vincente. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> however you want it, however you want it. Depends on how Italian you are. Right, 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 right. What level? Yeah, yeah. so. What level? Uh, yeah, so thanks for coming on, first off. Yeah, thank uh, you. Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah thanks it. for having me, guys. I'm, I'm always happy to come out and, uh, and talk a little Friday. Sure, sure. Cool. Uh, so the, uh, the, the movie itself is, uh, like I said, it's available on YouTube. And I know you guys had made some copies of it for your Kickstarter funding or, or crowd, you know, whatever crowdfunding sources you guys had used to create this. Um, mm-hmm. And and I know, at least as far as everything that I've seen, has gotten all very you know good praise on this movie and been getting a lot mm-hmm. of buzz. And I had seen you guys posted, you know, leading up to this Friday the Thirteenth, a lot of other poor websites and stuff were we're mentioning it and referring people to it and stuff. So that's really cool that it's kind of getting spread out there now that it's, it's been, you know, a little more than half a year that it's uh, been available to everybody. Uh, how has all of that been to you? Have you, you know, been obviously getting a lot more attention for the movie, but more, just more attention coming your way, more, more praise, more criticism, any, any good, bad or indifferent. Well, well I mean, it all, it all comes in waves. Um, sure. you know, being that Never Heck Alone is a Friday the 13th movie, uh, one big aspect of it is that Friday the 13th comes up either multiple times a year or, you know, there are long spans between them, like the next one, September 13th. But, you know, we came out in October. That was a Friday the 13th. We had another Friday the 13th in January. And then this past one in July was, you know, the third kind of in less than a year. So it's been eight months. We've had three Friday the 13th and we've had a chance as a film to kind of Every time one of them comes up, the last batch of people who would watch it the first time were like, you guys now have to watch Friday the 13th. Never right, right. 
And then that group went on to this one and this one was big. You know, we, we you know, this past weekend we got over a hundred thousand views, right. you know, probably thanks to coming out on the dead meat uh, channel on YouTube. Also uh, our ghost Jason was elevated up to be put into the Friday the 13th puzzle game, yeah, I saw that. which is something that was figured out um, prior to all the legal stuff going on. The guys at that game had reached out to us shortly after the film came out um, they had been posting like, Hey, we're looking for counselors and stuff to put in the game. You guys have any ideas of what we should do? And we were like, Hey, look, this is kind of getting popular. Would you mind putting our characters in the game? And they were like, we actually might be able to swing that. Um, wow. they, they slipped that under the radar with nobody knowing about it. And I never even knew if it was actually going to happen. And this past Friday the 13th, they were like, Hey, look, all the legal stuff came down. Like, you mm -hmm. know, we didn't think it would, but hey, we ended up putting your guy in the game and we put him off to the side. We're going to unleash him. So here's some stuff. Get ready to launch it. And it was like, this is great. You know, Friday the 13th is coming up. Um, this will be really big for us. Um, and this will help us get the word out because, yeah, we, you know, like you guys are kind of saying in, in kind of the prologue of the show, I guess I could say, um, mm -hmm. you know, we didn't do this for for any money. We didn't do it to make any lucrative gains. It was just mostly to celebrate Friday the 13th. You know, it was my yeah. love letter to the series. Um, it was something that we got together as a group of friends and said, Hey, wouldn't this be fun? And then it turned into a year and a half of the hardest work we've probably ever done in our entire <laughs> lives. Of course. Yeah. And you know, and no one's making money. We're out there, um, basically just, you know, spending all of our weekends filming, um, all of our down days filming or cutting or, or going to scoring sessions or doing everything we could pulling in together as many people as I could to get on this project to help it get to the level it got to was, I mean, an endless amount of work. Um, I took a, a year off of work to complete it. I was working a full-time job and then said, you know what? I've saved up this money. I know that this film will not survive unless I put my heart and soul into it. And I believe in it, you know, with the opportunities that we were given. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, let's just do this. And so I took a year off of work and uh, spent all of 2017 on it, not only getting it ready for, um, for the October 13th, distribution, but also kind of cleaning up afterwards and seeing what the reaction would be to see how I could transition my career from what I was doing into being a full-time director, or at least going from someone who was working in feature animation on the production side, moving into the creative side, or even the production side of live action. Um, and that's what I spent kind of the many months after Never Hike Alone working on while I was shepherding the film in its kind of infancy to see what type of reaction it would get. Um, positive has been great. Um, you know, it, it's kind of, you know, I didn't think it would be this positive because I think mm -hmm. if you know Friday the 13th fans as well as I are, I do, um, they're very picky. Oh, yeah. Sure. And, sure. you know, for a series that's full of holes, I mean, it's one of the pickiest mm -hmm. bunches <laughs> that you can, you can yeah. get. Um, mm -hmm. so to see like a majority positive comeback, you know, I've seen the criticisms and I agree with some of them. I mean, we were ultimately a $40,000 film that tried to play as close to a million dollar production as we could. Uh, we tried mm -hmm. to play by all the same rules, use uh -huh. all the same tricks. Um, and a lot of the reason why we were able to keep the budget that low was because a lot of people showed up and charged nothing to be there. They were there voluntarily. Mm -hmm. Um, myself included the lead actors, most of the core crew. Um, we spent all of our money on equipment and, you know, renting out, houses so we could stay there over the weekend and shoot all weekend or renting out, you know, just getting food and, and other types of things, pass vans and grip trucks and all the stuff that was needed to build as big a production as we could on the budget that was allowed. Right. Uh, yeah. And that's, you know, it's kind of, that's kind of the, how we got it done really. Nice. 
Well, we can appreciate uh, putting a lot of time into a creative endeavor that gets you no money. Being yeah, uh, yeah, in exactly. the podcast world is basically yeah, yeah. that too. <laughs> yeah. It's always, you know, hurry up and record and then sit around and edit and then put it out. And then it's like, okay, now what's next? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, oh, uh, definitely. And it's always, uh, you know, one of those things where you, you just want to put the time into it because you like doing this. You know, Marco and I like to get together with the two of us and just talk about a movie or two mm-hmm. or three that have come out and just, you know, review them or discuss them. Then we also like to try and, What's you up, know, guys? It's Aaron Paul and interview people and, uh, and talk, you know, to, uh, other friends of ours and stuff. So it's just, you know, kind of the same idea where we have this passion for something and want to put the time into it. But yeah, there's not, uh, not much money in podcasting unless you're, mm-hmm. unless you're already famous and then start a podcast. Unless you're, yeah. unless you're Joe Rogan. You're right. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's like anytime you, you are passionate about anything, mm-hmm. you're going to find a way to do it. And I think that right. that's ultimately what I did. It wasn't just, you know, part of it was, um, you know, Friday the 13th had been, you know, sleeping. You know what I mean? It, it had yeah. been eight years since a movie. And the last one that came out in 2009, I think as of me being such a Friday fanboy, of course, at that time, I was in that age where, like, you hate everything. Right. Um, <laughs> so it yeah. caught me at the I hate everything age. And yes. when I watched it, I went, who wrote this? And I knew, you know, I know the guys who wrote it and, you know, mm-hmm. nothing against them. Um, but I was like, there's such they're supposed to be such good fans. Why are they doing things that? don't necessarily line up with if I'm a fan and they're a fan, shouldn't they yeah. see things the same way I do? Sure. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, and of course, being in my early 20s at that, at that time, of course, I knew everything. Uh, and I said, well, I'm going to show them. And I think I started to kind of write these Friday the 13th films like in my spare time out of spite, but never did anything with them. <laughs> You know, yeah. one day hoping, you know, one day hopefully my career is going to take me into that room where I can, you know, work on that Friday the 13th film. Right. And as I started to get older and a little bit more grounded, um, I started to realize like, wow, if I don't do something about that, that's never going to happen. Yeah. Um, and why should I have to wait for anybody to make a Friday the 13th film? Because making a costume really isn't that hard. And Friday the 13th films really aren't that expensive. So let's go out and make a fan film that maybe that's the closest I ever get to making a Friday the 13th. And mm-hmm. we'll call it a day. Um, sure. never did I ever imagine that it would turn into what it turned into and it would get the, the response that it would get. It would give me the, um, the opportunities that I've been afforded since making it, um, that I would be meeting the people, you know, through the film and, and having people write me from all over the world and, and all these different things. It was not at the forefront of my mind when I started Never Hike Alone. What was at the forefront was a story about Friday the 13th needs to be told to show people that good Friday the 13th films can still be made. Yes. And that's all I wanted to do. And that was my entire focus the entire time. I mean, everything else was, yeah, eventually it was like, wow, people are actually paying attention to us. We actually have to deliver something good. The pressure's there. The pressure's on. Um, and we just worked as hard as we could to make the film as, you know, as good as it could possibly be for fans. Um, and eventually it permeated outside of that you know, Mm -hmm. spectrum. It's not just Friday the 13th fans. It's people who haven't even watched a Friday the 13th in their life who like it. Right. Um, Yeah. And it kind of cracked this code of like, Hey, Jason is viable in this market. Jason Mm -hmm. is, is viable in today's world. It isn't go back and do the, the old, you know, formula. Don't go back and keep repackaging the same thing. It's the character is what's golden, not the formula. So go and put that character in different situations that are going to make him interesting again and putting him in different situations that we haven't seen him in before. Don't touch the backstory, just touch, you know, the circumstance. Mm -hmm. And that's what made for me never hike alone 
an interesting story to tell and pursue because it was something that really hadn't been done with Jason before, only in small bits in the final act, which is usually people's favorite part is right. the final girls going up against Jason and it's one on one. And what is she going to do to survive? How is this, you know, 110 pound girl soaking wet going to take down this 200 pound hulking, you know, behemoth? Right. And I think a lot of people watching those films were probably sitting in the audience at some point in their life going, yeah, I could take Jason. <laughs> I, could, I could totally take Jason. I just punch yeah, him in yeah. the balls. You know what I mean? Right. And so we also wanted to show to those people what it would be like. Yeah. Um, that a horror film doesn't have to be all hack and slash, that it can be, you know, suspense and terror. Right. And how yes. terrifying it could be. Like one of the, like, I always think from my perspective, because I've the one of the criticisms that I've got um, and I accept is, well, why didn't you just write an original piece? And I was like, well, if I did, it's so close to Friday the 13th, people would just say I'm ripping it off anyway. Yes. Mm -hmm. And in this mm -hmm. circumstance, in this story, the only person I want to see somebody facing off against is Jason Voorhees. Right. I don't want to pick up some lame slasher because guess what? Every lame slasher that wears a mask after Jason is basically Jason in disguise. Yeah. And yes. All those people just want to make a Friday the 13th movie. So I'm not going to pretend yes. that I'm going to make a Friday the 13th movie. I'm just going to make it. And I'm yeah. not going to rip it off. Plus, the camp everything that we found fed into the Friday the 13th lore. And this whole mission was about bringing Jason back anyway as a fan. And it wasn't about, you know, anything but that. And I said, mm -hmm. if I do a good job, I don't think people are really going to care. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't, I didn't care when what's his face went out and did that pow dark power Rangers fan film a couple years ago. That was way better than what came out in the actual <laughs> theater, you know, with Katie Sackoff and everything. Like I didn't say like, Oh, well this is a fan film. This sucks. I went, this sure, is sure. a fan film? Holy crap. How did they pull this off? How are they? Right. You know? And yeah, you start yeah. asking those questions. And um, and that's basically, you know, how how I approach this. It was just yeah. coming up with a fresh perspective for Jason um, and then finding a way to tell it. And then the journey of going from, you know, the five minute, seven minute piece that it was supposed to be was kind of like its own kind of story altogether. Right. So before uh, we dig too much into like the actual making of the movie. Uh, how did you kind of get to where you were writing and directing on, on this in particular? Like, was this something just the, the whole writing and directing avenue? Is that something you had obviously set out to do as a career or was it just, you know, something more, more hobbyish or, or something along those lines? Um, it's really tough. It's probably one of the hardest things I think for someone to do is to move out to Los Angeles, walk into their first job and say, and they go, Hey, what do you want to do? And I'm like, I want to direct. Mm -hmm. And then they just go get in line. Yeah, and, yeah. Sure. and there is no like, Hey, where do I go to direct? There is like you, Hey, you want to become a PA? Yeah, I can talk to you. Somebody, Oh, you want to work in production design? Oh, you can go talk to this guy. You want to direct, go make a film. Right. Yes. And how, and how, <laughs> I mean, when you just get like, Th that thrown at you you go how how, right. how do i just make a film and like yeah i could pick up a camera i can get my friends together we can go in my apartment and we could film something but how do you make a film like how do you make a piece of art that you know takes you to the next level takes you on this path that people are going to take you seriously as a creative person right. so there was no here's stand in line and wait for your turn to direct it was go and find the tools you need to fill in all the gaps of the things you don't know. And it started being a production assistant. Okay. You know, I started as a production assistant in visual effects and you know, it didn't seem like 
you know, in between getting coffee and doing notes and kind of doing all the, the dirty jobs that no one else wanted to do, it was stealing, you know, 20 minutes to go watch somebody like David Fincher direct Brad Pitt. And mm-hmm. you're just standing off to the side and you don't have anything to do. You have to make it look like you have stuff to do. But right. you're watching and you're just ca- collecting little pieces of information over time where you watch somebody say something to an actor that clicks with you as a way to communicate with somebody else. A director communicating with an actor, a director communicating with the cameraman, mm-hmm. a director communicating with anybody on set. You listen to that and you'll pick up more on set than you will in any film school out there in the world because you understand that in film school – you're kind of put with a bunch of your peers where you're all guided by a professor who can tell you what to do and what not to do. In the real world, your ass is on the line at all times. Yep, and everyone sure. on that set can be gone in an instant. There is no mess up. The minute you mess up, you're gone. Yeah. And so, and I've seen it. I've seen people right. get fired. I've been fired. Um, and that journey of working up from PA to coordinator to manager to all these different things in not just VFX, but in feature animation was where I spent most of my career was working for uh, development teams that would build independent feature animated films. So this meant sitting in a room with uh, the two script writers, a producer, a director, story artists, editors, um, production designers, and other creative people as they were coming up with everything from the story to how the blades of grass would reflect in the sun. Hmm. Right. So you're starting to, at that point, that was like, I would say when I went to film school, I learned how to use the materials as far as like, this is how you turn it on. This is how you import footage. This is how you focus the camera, uh-huh. yada, 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 all that stuff for technical thing. The creative side of it came from watching creatives be creative right. and diving in and putting up ideas with those people as a, you know, a note taker saying, Hey, I've read the notes. If you guys are saying you want to do this or if you want to say you do that, does that go against what you're saying here? Or Mm -hmm. could this be amplified if you try this? And, you know, it's risky to be that person. But when you build up a certain trust with a creative team, you start to earn your stripes in that way. And so I started as a production person, really spending a lot of time with the creatives, testing my creative ability, um, pitching ideas, working with story artists, working with editors. You know, it it eventually grew into me – like halfway producing some of my own films through independent animation where I was going in and pitching to companies like, um, like toy, I'm trying to think of the name of the, like who makes hot wheels, Mattel, uh, Mattel. Mattel. Yeah. So, yeah. So like we would have a thing for like Mattel. And so, you know, I got up to the point where I could go in and pitch a pitch the film as a selling point to have the toys made through Mattel. And I was, you know, kind of getting to that level where, in my career, I started saying, look, if you guys are having me do this and I can handle these types of pitches and I can obviously run a story room, can I now get it? Will you now buy one of my scripts? Will you now look at one of my scripts? Will you now think of me as a creative in a development wing? And mm-hmm. when you do something so well for so long, you know, in production where you're able to be a responsible production person and get your creative work done, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going like, okay, it's time to get you into creative. They go, no, you're just really good at production. We want to keep you doing that. Yes. Right. right. How do we keep you doing both for as long as possible? And it came to the point where I had to make that decision of, am I going to be creative or am I going to be a producer? And I knew that I didn't want to be a producer. I had, I even had a producing, um, job lined up for me. Um, (laughs) I wasn't even told about. I was just kind of like, they just assumed that I was going to take this job. (laughs) And I basically said, no, I said, you know, if you guys put me in that position, it's the end of my creative career and I can't do it. Um, and and at that same time I had been kind of chipping away at never hike alone. 
And when it came time to make that decision, I was already seven, eight years in my career. Um, I was doing pretty well for myself. Um, you know, I felt on stable ground in one thing, but I still had that yearning to go be creative somewhere else, go be in the live action realm, go be doing something else. And before my, you know, career basically got locked down on one path, I decided to back off and start over. Mm -hmm. Um, and never hike alone was that tool that I used. I I used all the good graces that I built up for, you know, eight years working for other people, very smart people on some very fun projects, doing some really cool things, Mm -hmm. not necessarily what I wanted to do. I didn't want to make kids films. I didn't want to make the same story of the, you know, the mom dying and, or somebody, the parent dies, the kid goes on a journey, everybody's happy, you know, and and everything's really expensive and takes really, really long to do. I mean, animated films take two and a half years at the least to do. And I think the longest one I was on, it was about three and a half. And I've heard ones that were like seven years, 10 Mm -hmm. years. So that's not, you know, in the meantime, my friends were all in live action or like doing a, doing a new film every three months. Right. (laughs) <laughs> they're like, oh yeah, I'm moving on to this thing and that thing. And I'm like, oh, I'm still on the same project I was two years ago. Yeah. Uh, we're on our fourth version of the story. And uh, it's it's a mix mash and second, third director and all these different things. And you're like, just like, can we just make the film and move on? Right. Um, you know, for me, Never Hike Alone became an outlet. And mm-hmm. my outlet was I would work five days a week on these films that felt like they were never going to end. And on the weekend, I would go spend two days with my friends and we would plot a little bit more on this like Friday the 13th fan film that was at the time to us just fun. Yeah, you know, right. It was just fun to do. I mean, we were building costumes. We were coming up with scenes and we were doing all this stuff. And it was the summer that summer that we started really doing it because we dropped our first trailer in May May of 2016 on a Friday the 13th. We had been kind of building up to that moment. Um, mm-hmm. I started playing this game with myself to keep myself occupied at work, which was what are we going to do for the next Friday the 13th? And it started a couple of years ago when there were three Fridays in one year. I think it was mm-hmm. February, March, uh, November, and then there was one in May. And so there yeah. were four just like like repeat and each one I did something so for one I built a cosplay and I took a picture for the next one I did like a small minute long short that's literally just the campfire tale of Paul cut to a single frame where I chase my wife through a picture dressed as Jason and then it says happy Friday the 13th nice Um, I got together with a friend of mine at the animation studio we did a stop motion (laughs) Friday the 13th one for another one and then um And then I kind of got this idea that I wanted to do a fan film. Um, And I had tried to do one way back in 2013 during the summer. It was like a fun thing. It was a complete disaster. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's where I had met Andrew. Andrew and I worked together on a previous animated film. And I had asked him to be the hiker in that one. And we went up and we shot it for a day. And it was just like a travesty. Um, it was kind of like, okay, I think I learned everything. And we went up and I went, well, I didn't learn crap. Uh, yeah, right, right. Okay. So let me go back to the drawing board and see what I need and started. <laughs> then that's really when I started, um, doing other people's sets. So I wasn't just working in animation. I would spend my time on the weekend doing like a 48 hour film project or I would go off and somebody needed a sound person. So I go do sound or they needed a grip. I'd go grip, you know, script supervisor, whatever they needed. Sure. I did it. I just wanted to be on set just yeah, so I yeah. could observe. learn on the job. Uh, yeah, learning on the job, learning as we're going. I mean, nobody's making any money anyway because it's all student films, um, so no one really cared. It was just a lot of fun. Sometimes we made something good, sometimes we made something bad, but at the end of the day, I would walk away with a new piece of knowledge, and that was basically my payment. Yep. Or I would 
walk away knowing somebody new. Like that's how I met our cinematographer. That's how I met my producer, Kyle. I met him on a film, uh, through other people. Um, basically everybody that ended up working on never hike alone. It was at some point somebody I had either met on a set or those people that I had met on set had recommended this person. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of all those years of going out and helping other people was finally starting to pay off because now those people were coming back to come hang out because all that time, like they would always listen to me, like talk shop about Friday the 13th, what they should do with the films. I have this idea. Right. And eventually it was like, you guys ready to do this? And they were like, yeah, yeah you've been talking about it for so yeah. long. Let's go, let's go do it. Mm -hmm. uh, and so great. we ended up putting together that, you know, so after three Friday the 13th in a row, um, it was time to go off and like reshoot this trailer that I had in my head about this lone hiker going up against Jason. You know, after meeting some people, learning some more things, I changed the story a little bit. We released that first trailer on May, uh, Friday the 13th, May 2016. You know, it goes on Friday the 13th franchise.com. A couple other sites picked it up. It didn't really make the splash that it was about to make in like a couple more months, but it was good enough to where we saw that the fans were receptive to it and. Right. We were like, this might be worth pursuing as something a little bit bigger than just a trailer. Yeah. And it just so happened that while we were at that camp, I mean, while we were shooting at these cabins, which we just found on the side of the road, um, we thought they were abandoned. Turns out they're just summer cabins. And the people who live there kind of pulled us aside and were like, listen, like, we don't mind you guys filming here. But if you really want to make a Friday the 13th film, you should film at a camp. And we were like, we would love to film at a camp, but I don't have any money. And they said, no, you don't understand. Like a mile up the road, there's an abandoned camp. Nice. And wow. I'll show you where it is. And so they pull out this map um, and he shows me on the map. I take a picture of it. I say, this is really cool. If we pursue this any further, we'll, you know, we'll definitely look into it. And so, you know, we released the trailer a couple weeks later. It does well. I'm like, hey, guys, we should check out this camp and see if there's anything, you know, mm -hmm. worth pursuing here. Um, lo and behold, after, you know, searching, you know, satellite maps on Google Maps and lining up his picture of the map which didn't really line up to the satellite maps anymore because the map was like 30 years old yeah right. and finally we're able to find this camp and we found this old access road which was gated but it wasn't locked and you know there was just a chain around it that wasn't it was just nut and bolted together so we took that apart and you know opened the gates and drove through and drove up this really creepy trail with a bunch of stuff on it like trees and rocks that we had to pull off and roll out of the way sure um and eventually we pulled into a camp and there it was. I mean, there's the camp that's in the film that you see in the film. And wow. it's almost like, you know, the, the, the film, the way we ended up writing it almost matched the story of how we made it in a way, certain, certain aspects. Right. Um, like the first cabin that, that Andrew sees in the film or the ca character of Kyle sees in the film is the first cabin that you actually see when you pull into the camp. And we mm -hmm. wanted to recreate those moments that we had experienced because we knew when we saw it and it had that effect on us. Mm -hmm. So we tried to put a little bit of that into the film. Um, and when we saw that camp and we saw that we had all these sets that we could go up and set dress and certain rooms that we could rebuild, we started to get the idea that maybe it was worth pursuing, you know, a bigger idea. Mm -hmm. That maybe we shouldn't pass up this opportunity and, and make a film. Right. And that's when, you know, so that started kind of the journey of... You know, how are we going to raise money to do this? You know, what's the right thing to do up here? How should we shoot it? What types of things should we do? You know, we had that door to nowhere where I was like, I want to throw somebody out of that. <laughs> and, on a, you know, and on a previous film, I had worked with a stunt crew who, you know, was like, this isn't like they work on Marvel films, but on the side, they do 48 hour film projects and they 
all they do in their 48 hour film projects is come up with new stunts to do on their right. own. Yeah. And I was like, well, what if we got those guys up here? Like they would probably have a field day with this stuff. Mm-hmm. And so it was about kind of thinking like who I knew, what resources I had and what type of manpower could we build to come up here and what type of film could we build? We obviously didn't have a million bucks to do whatever we wanted. We had to be very precise, uh-huh. but even being precise was super expensive. So we went out after crowdfunding, um, which was, you know, a big learning curve. Crowdfunding is a real pain. <laughs> it's a lot of work. I'm sure. Um, yeah, I've done three of them now. Um, the first one failed. Um, the first one we tried to do $40,000 because that's what we thought it would cost. That's what it ended up costing. Um, but we, we only raised 30 and because you don't get your, if you don't reach your goal on Kickstarter, you don't get anything. Um, so I ended up reaching out to the top backers. They, uh, and I said, listen, if you were willing to go and back us this much, would you mind backing us, you know, outside of Kickstarter, just making this a private adventure, everything that you would have got through Kickstarter, you will still get. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it will just be us. It will be, you know, the five of us just investing in the first half of this film. And they all said, yes, it was a cool experience. Cause we yes. all kind of held hands and said, all right, you know, we know that we have this first $20,000 and we know there's another $20,000 of fans that are out there. Let's go make half the film. Let's go do some of the stunts, some of the effects, you know, you know, some of the night stuff, show them what we can do and then come back out later on, raise more money and, and finish the film. Right. And that's what we ended up doing. So we ended up filming through the fall of 20, um, fall of 2016. Uh, we put our pencils down when the snow started to fall, uh, started building a new campaign, built a new trailer um, that came out that we were able to incorporate all the new footage, all the, you know, all the shots from the camp and some of the stunts. I think the... Um, Like the table slam was in that trailer. Uh, Some of the really more high profile drone shots were in that trailer. Um, And we were able to show that we can get a pretty good production value for a very, very low price. Mm -hmm. Uh, We set our goal very low, you know, $13,000. We ended up making about 19 and a half. Um, Some additional money spilled in after the Kickstarter, which was pretty, I mean, after that Kickstarter, which was pretty cool, that brought us up to around 20. Um, And we ended up making, you know, the rest of the film on that um, all the way up until. Uh, that we premiered on October 13th. And then our third uh, crowdfunding was the Blu-ray, which we only did because there was so much demand for a physical copy that we had to kind of reverse engineer and figure out how to do that one. Sure, sure. So the, uh, the, you know, the whole idea that you had talked about with having sort of this one-on-one situation with, you know, a single hiker comes across Jason and then it's just, you know, kind of a a cat and mouse, if you will, Mm -hmm. where they're going back and forth. Um, Was that sort of the, the plan all along that you had had for this idea? Because I know you said that you had had some different ideas as far as like how to approach this and, and whatever, you know, rewriting the story and your vision of like what Jason would be. So did you always have kind of that single idea of doing it as a, a one-on-one thing or did you have some other ideas that you had thought of as well? I had kind of, um, I kind of got wedged into it by circumstance and, um, and just kind of following my nose. I guess there's a way to kind of say it. Like I kind of, I, if you would ask me three years ago, Hey man, I want you to make a film with just one person and Jason, I'd be like, go screw yourself. Uh, (laughs) I want, I want, I want to see everybody die. You know what I mean? And so body count, body count. I want, I want the body count. And and originally in the original scripts that I had written through a lot of them, um, were body count films. I mean, they were Mm -hmm. all encompasses and they all, they all, they all basically functioned around this one single premise, which was, 
you know, if you're going to do a fan film, basically what you're telling is the stories in between the films. And the best thing you can do as a fan film is feel like you just fit in between somewhere. You can almost fit anywhere. You know, pick your place, slip in between the films and tell your story. Um, You know, you always hear about people in Crystal Lake that go missing. So let's hear one of their stories. Let's let's talk about the people who don't come back. And that's kind of where I started was I want to talk about the people who go in there and never come out and are never heard from again. And it's a mystery. They don't know if Jason got him. They don't know if they just got lost in the woods. Like, who knows? Like, is it Jason? And it was kind of based on that. Um, Okay. some of that, you know, when I started to develop that and then like I saw Wolf Creek and I was like, this is exactly what I want to do. you know, it was kind of like that. It's like people who go get lost in the woods and never come back. This is their story. And we wanted to sort of trick people in a way of telling a story that was like, oh, this looks like it's going to be a story about somebody going else. And then they wander into a Friday the 13th film and never come back. Um, so it started there. And then right. as we started kind of analyzing the idea and what we would do, it was like I knew I had Drew. Um, Drew was on board from day one and the original thing that we were going to do is like a test piece was like the last survivor or the lonely hiker who went in and was trying to get away from Jason was eventually caught and never made it back out. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where it, it kind of started. And as I started building my crew and we were coming up with a way to build a kind of a fun trailer that was kind of in today's audiences, we were originally going to do something that was more f- focused less on GoPro and more on doing like Instagram stories. Okay. So he was kind of doing his story around the woods and we would cut into the story around the woods. And eventually when he found Camp Crystal Lake, he was, you know, kind of vlogging it. And then when he was trying to take a selfie, would see Jason in his reflection and then the chase would ensue and he would yeah. get killed shortly after. Because at that time, all we had were the, the, the exterior for cabins. They were going to run into each other. Jason was going to chase him down. And there was this cool little scene at the end of the of the short where he was going to climb over the fence uh, where he found like the, the fence was supposed to be much bigger originally. It wasn't supposed to be like the classic style fence. There was going to be like a big ass fence that he had to climb over to see what was on the other side. Um, and as he gets over it, he falls, rips his pants, hits the ground, sits up, goes to run away, realizes that his phone is on the other side of the fence. Mm. And so we spend an extra beat at the fence and he gets up close and he sticks his arm through like the gate and reaches for it. He's looking around waiting for Jason to show up and he finally grabs his phone and pulls it through, like takes a breath of relief and like goes to get up. And when he does that, Jason's standing there and just buries the axe in his face and calls it a day and just drags it into the woods. And that was supposed to be the original version of Never Hike Alone. And then we found those cabins and changed everything. And then it changed everything. Yeah. And I had to kind of go back and rethink the entire thing. Cause I was like, this is way too big for an Instagram story. Like this is just, it's too, it's too much. I don't want to, I don't want to waste this entire set on a seven minute piece. Let's grow this out to like 22 minutes. So I went back into my kind of pouch of Friday the 13th stories. And one of them was set in the eighties and was meant to be kind of like a, into the wild meets Friday the 13th. And there was going to be this guy who was on the Appalachian trail, uh, journaling as he goes, writing in a book and you know, he's on the trail and he kind of gets a little bit behind schedule. Classic goes into town, asks for directions, you know, sees a shortcut. They tell him not to take the shortcut. He ends up oh, taking yeah. the shortcut and he ends up in, um, and he ends up in crystal Lake. Yeah. Um, and I said, well, you know, that's something that would fit like, I was waiting until I found a set like this to actually tell a story like this. But, you know, digital age, what we've been doing, I kind of like the, 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 the camera work that we've been doing because it's a lot of fun to go back and forth between the two devices. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And this might not resonate with audiences today. People don't really talk about journaling anymore. Everyone vlogs and, right. you know, they, they don't even blog on, you know, what is it? Tumblr? Is Tumblr even alive? Yeah, like, I, does I, anyone I, write? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> does anyone even write anymore? Um, so it was all about, it was all about vlogging. And I started to realize that we had at that moment, like the perfect key. I was like, oh, we turn him into a YouTube vlogger. We can yep. give him his own show. And then I started to do my research and realized that this doesn't have to be found footage. This can be more like 127 hours or The Martian. And, mm -hmm. and we can use those film techniques to tell this story and put Friday the 13th in this structure and ultimately just use that as like a guiding path to then tell our story. And then at that moment, it was more about taking the actual experiences of us finding the camp, what it took to get to the camp, some of the things that we were going through, um, pairing it to like, okay, let's go look at the original film. What would life have been like if, you know, the, they never went back to the camp and they shut it down and the crime scene still stood. So we've had to kind of world build for a while. We spent all summer just going up, filming the camp, talking about story, talking about what should be in what room, um, how, in what order should we discover things, um, how should he find Jason, where is Jason, and all using basically this camp as our box to play in. So we knew, yeah. the, we knew we had like the attic room, and we had the kitchen, and we had the main hall, and the utility room, and Steve Christie's office, and that bedroom, and, and, and a bathroom. And so we started to kind of say what lines up with what. Yeah. What comes closest to what and what could we do? And so we basically took an element from Friday the 13th that we all know and love and then plastered it with our camp and, and put sure. it that version in our camp and built that world. And then that's where the story kind of built out from there. Um, and we just built on top of it. And then, you know, since we were making this over a long period of time, we were able to write new scenes, rewrite scenes. Um, and really just play it out each week of like, you know what, based on what we learned last week, we can now do this in this scene, you know, or, yeah. you know, since you do this in this scene, I added that to a scene that we're going to do like, which would end up being like four months from now. Right. So tracking right, right. continuity was like the worst. Um, it was really, really hard, but we did a pretty decent job of it. Um, even when we had to wait six weeks for like, like Andrew would be doing this film for over a year, huh. um, with long hair and a beard looking like Thor. <laughs> and his agents would be like, man, you got to shave. You got to go do a commercial. And he would shave and it would shut down production for six weeks. <laughs> so, and so right. it was like we were like always like waiting in the wings. Like anytime we can go out and shoot, it was that time to do it. Or like our yes. makeup effects person, Kelsey Burke, she was working on Fear the Walking Dead in Mexico. So oh. anytime she came back on the train, we picked her up, went and shot something, put her back on the train and sent her back to Mexico. Nice. nice and nice. it was like it was this game with everybody. It's like, when can you be available? Um, and, and how many people can we get available for that weekend from not only like a specialist production head standpoint, but support from production staff to grips to, you know, just and, and the main people who needed to be there. So it was always this kind of like roulette wheel of who's showing up this week depending on who can show up what week is what we're going to shoot and building that for over you know for two seasons so uh, the fall of 2016 and then the spring and summer of 2017 right and sprinkling all those story ideas and all of the scenes which were basically in the first like the the script as it was written on october 13th 2016 mm -hmm. um reflects the film that you see today I mean, very okay. much. I mean, the bones are all there. It was more of along the way we added and we adjusted, you know, 
scenes were, say, I had, like, in one way it went down is, you know, Kyle used to stab Jason a ton of times. I mean, it was the only way I could think of um, logically that someone could get away from Jason is that they have, you know, he's got that knife on him. He's going to use it. And we're going to have him stab Jason a bunch of times. And that's like kind of this get out of jail free key. And that yes. was before I had ever played the game. When the game oh, right, came out, yeah, I was like, right. this is like amazing. Like we're basically making Friday the 13th, the game, the movie with almost <laughs> everything we're doing with this cat and Absolutely. mouse hiding, you know, hiding behind tables, slithering around. Jason's on his outside of the door, finding a way in. Like sure. it was so funny how those guys working <laughs> in Kentucky and us working in L.A. were both on that same page. And I think that the reason why is, is because both of us had a very keen understanding of what Friday the 13th is supposed to be and what really Absolutely. scares people about it. Yeah. So. That was really kind of cool to see as those things were coming out. I got to work on the game a little bit too, which is fun. Oh, that's uh, awesome. But the um, so we were, you know, building you know each piece kind of section by section. Um, like the like and another example. So that was the way it went down. So stabbing Jason. That's that's what I was talking about. Um, we couldn't do that because one, it was a stunt. Two, it was an effect. And three, I would have had to have purchased like 20 Jason shirts for all the continuity, right. depending on how he got stabbed, when he got stabbed. Yeah, exactly. And tracking all that. And if he got stabbed 20 times one day and then we had to go, you know, shoot the sceneries at the no trespassing scenes, get all the stab marks, continuity is going to be way off. So we had to pull that out. And so that was one way we had to like, OK, well, he'll punch. We'll do the Julius thing. Um, and, you know, that was kind of like working within your budget, accepting it, but making the thing that necessarily wasn't the first idea work to the best of its ability. So it still felt natural and, and you didn't get taken out of the film. Yeah, yeah. You know, something that we ended up adding down the line was once I realized that the ribbons were going to be really powerful and a lot of fun, I took it upon myself to be like, I got to get every ribbon in the film, like as best as I can. Um, if I could have dragged a rusty Wrangler up that hill and left it out there, I would have put a ribbon in that too for where they found Annie's body. Right. But, right. <laughs> but I mean, originally the Kevin Bacon scene wasn't in there because I didn't think like, well, I don't have bunk beds and right. I don't know where I'm going to do this yet if I can do it. And then eventually after being there and discovering the bed cots and finding, bed, yeah. you know, you know, four by fours and all this stuff, I ended up building my own bunk beds right. and rebuilding the entire set. Not obviously one for one with what was there, but we tried to take as many elements mm -hmm. from that scene and kind of sprinkle it out. Or yeah, even yeah. if it was the same elements, take the same ideas like, all right, two, you know, college age kids are hanging out in this place. What are they going to populate it with? What's going to be in here? What types of books are going to be in here? Um, that type of stuff. And just trying yeah. to, you know, not necessarily copy the first film one for one, but take that inspiration and just mm -hmm. they're all nods. Yeah, absolutely. yeah, they're all nods. It's yeah. all it's, yeah. it's more nodding than it is a one for mm -hmm. one copy. For sure. Uh, yeah. And so that's kind of like and that's kind of how the story grew um, mm -hmm. was, you know, and it was taking times like there would be, you know, like I said, like we're down for six weeks. I got nothing to do. I drive up to the camp and I just walk around yeah. and think and be like, what would happen here? Or yeah. It's 1992 and I'm Jason and no one's come up here in five years because they all think I washed out to sea in Manhattan. What am I doing? You know what I mean? Like I'm yeah, walking yeah. around kind of hanging out. I'm hanging out with mom. I'm enjoying my time off. Um, and, I, and that went, you know, and that went into a lot of like, you know, me being able to do that was actually me being able to get in Jason's head from a performance standpoint, point, but also a writing standpoint for the people who are like, well, why doesn't Jason just kill him right away? And it's yeah. like, well, maybe Jason learned his lesson. Maybe yeah. Jason isn't going to go after everybody because he knows that every time he goes after somebody, he either ends up with an axe in his head, a machete yeah. in his shoulder, 
you know, machete in his face. He ends up six feet under for 10 years or he ends up getting washed out to sea or burnt or all this stuff. And yeah, maybe right. he's going to be a little bit stopped. <laughs> yeah, he you know. does, he's not unstoppable. Yeah. He, right, right. He's come to a point where he's like, you know what? I'm going to take my time and I'm going to figure out the easiest way to kill this guy, which yeah. is in Jason's hope. It, what Jason was kind of hoping for in this entire thing was that he would just go away. He's yeah. like, just go away. I'm tired. I'm fucking 70 years old. Yeah. And <laughs> I'm undead. I don't know what I'm doing here. I don't know yeah. why I'm still alive. Yeah, All I have yeah. is my mom's head. It talks to me. Right. So mm. I got that going for me. Um, yeah. I just kind of want to be left alone. So if you and can go like. Go ahead. I was like, maybe Jason's playing with him. Maybe he doesn't know how. Because remember, he was a kid when he died. And, mm-hmm. the only, and he has the superhuman strength. So when he takes someone's head, maybe he's really playing with him and he accidentally kills him you know well, what i mean, mean so yeah, like you a, would play like a with it. it's like a play yeah <laughs> well, it's like a play toy so I didn't you know. need to kill the rabbits yeah, yeah well i mean exactly. well, i think there is a little bit of that i i do totally believe that in that mm-hmm. the brain of that big meat monster is a 12 year old boy yeah absolutely confused yeah. out of his mind mm-hmm. he's driven to kill his mother tells him to kill he knows he has the ability to do it and it's right. you know the in order for him to get there, it, he has to go to that same rage that his mother had that drove her to kill the counselors in yes. the first Friday the 13th. Yeah. And so that is the adrenaline that pushes him to kill people through all of these films. It always brings him back. They wake him up. He's super pissed off. And he just starts killing people sure. because yeah. he's not supposed to be alive. Well, now he's been alive and untouched for like 30 years. So he's yeah. kind of had a chance to think about things and calm down a little bit and take a little bit of a different approach. It's like, you know, my great-grandfather lived till he was... 93 years old and he played golf. I want to say up until he was 80 something, 88. And he used, and he was saying, he's like, you know, something I learned getting old. He's like, you know, I used to go out there with those guys and we try to drive it down the lane and I'd send balls into the, into the trees. He goes, when I started getting older and I couldn't do that anymore, I just started playing it straight. I just tried to put it in the center (laughs) of the course and play my thing. And I would beat them all the time. He was because they were always trying way too hard. And I think Jason in his head is like, you know what? This kid's going to do one of two things. He's either going to come to my territory, he's going to see these ribbons, he's going to see all this gore, and he's going to run away, and I'm not going to have to worry about it. Mm -hmm. Or he's going to fall asleep and be unsuspecting, and I'm going to walk up to his sleeping bag, I'm going to step on his head and crush his skull. And it's going to be over and done with. No chasing, no stabbing, no fire, no lightning, no nothing. It's going to be over and done with. I'm going to dump his body in the lake, and I'm going to go back and hang out with my mom. Right, sure. The problem is, is that Kyle is annoying and won't go away. Right. And no matter what Jason does to scare him away, whether it's stepping behind him on the trail and then shifting off um, to just try to spook him away from the no trespassing sign or just right. creeping around and keeping an eye on him, thinking the camp's going to do the work for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, it sure, isn't until yeah. Kyle goes into his lair and finds his mother's head that Jason realizes there's nothing more I can do. It's time to attack. Yes. Right. Now I have to take this guy out because he's gone too far. He's crossed the threshold and now I'll be put into action. And that's when the two characters make a complete switch in character in the film. Jason is pursuing him and, and Kyle is out in the open. And from that moment afterwards, Kyle is the one in hiding and Jason is the one out in the open pursuing. Right. And so right. it's a, it's a cool, like for me as a writer, I was like, Oh, this is a cool, like, change in character it's like you haven't seen really you know jason stalks people you know he takes his time you know he bides his time mm-hmm. uh, now let's see him do this with one person and kind of you know go from there mm-hmm, so yeah. that was really the approach with it there was like a very tactful approach to me having those characters flip their um their characteristics midway through the film at a very specific moment mm-hmm. where 
you know, a certain thing happens. And that's what you want your stories to do is lead you up to a moment right, right. of you know, radical change and then set in, you know, set into uh, motion all of these events that will play afterwards that thrust your main character into a fight for survival. Sure. Right. I think that's part of what the movie really does so well that gives it such a familiar feeling, too, is you mm -hmm. build up that that suspense of like Jason kind of watching and lurking and, you know, all the the early movies, especially, it all has that yeah. where the kids are messing around in the lake or in the woods. Oh, I think I saw something. Oh, what was that? Or, you know, <laughs> right. It's, mm -hmm. it's always there. And, and I, I love the way that you guys did that. You just kind of show a little bit here and there, or you give the, the feeling of he's there and, you know, the sound cues are fucking brilliant too. Like they're just, yeah, you know, it, it comes off so well. So I don't know how, you know, much music you guys created on your own to add to it as far as the score and everything, but it had such a, you know, nostalgic sound to it as well. And obviously the, the, the classic Jason sound is thrown in there mm -hmm. at the right moments and stuff. But um, what was sort of your version of what uh, this this Jason is? Like, I know obviously he's, like we're saying, he's, you know, 70 years old and whatever now. But mm -hmm. um, I feel like <laughs> like my, my interpretation of the way that you kind of did this is like he's sort of this amalgamation of a few different Jasons to me. Like I could see mm -hmm. a little bit of inspiration of a few different ones. And then obviously being the guy who played Jason himself, I'm sure you had to kind of pull from different actors as well as different roles. Cause even some of the people that re repeat played Jason played him differently. So mm -hmm. uh, what was sort of your version of, of Jason or what were you trying to, to create with him? All right. So I'm going to, I'm just going to give you guys a warning. I'm a big Friday the 13th nerd and I'm about to dive into something no, <laughs> that I've been, no, I've been no. swimming around in for a long time as a fan. I think one of the key things about being a Friday the 13th fan is you don't really know. I mean, you don't really know what Jason is. And yeah. because of that, you have a thousand different theories about what he is. Right. Mm. Um, that's how you end up with, you know, deadite Jason for Adam Marcus, a human Jason in parts two through four and a completely undead Jason from there from then on after. Mm -hmm. And as a fan, it was always fun to try and think about that debate with mm -hmm. people online, talk about, you know, well, well, he would have survived and he would have lived in the woods. He would have ate fish and like all this stuff. Yeah. And, and, you know, you, you can argue it that way or, you know, it's like, well, he, of course he didn't because if he would have died, he would never come back. And you start to like logic it out and kind of right. come with all these, you know, the, the, the beautiful mind board goes up at that point. Yep. You're trying to figure out and do the timeline about how long he's been out there and all this stuff. And I did that. I can't tell you how long I did that yeah. for a long time, trying to figure out how Jason would have been alive. And then it was only the lightning that made him undead. And that's, you know, all this stuff. Right. Didn't matter that he took a machete like into his heart in the second film. Didn't matter that he took a, an ax to the skull in the second and in the third one. Doesn't matter, you know, right. that, you know, he got a machete to the face and his fingers were still wiggling. Um, none of that mattered because I had to logic it out. And eventually what happened was, is I let go of it all. Mm -hmm. I said, what a waste of time. What a waste of time to try to explain this or try to come up with anything. And the thing that always broke that down was one simple fact. If he had survived that drowning, he would have returned right back to his mom. Right. And there is mm -hmm. nothing in that world that would have kept those two apart because that's the key to the entire series. For sure. Uh, you know, I, Victor Miller says it very clearly in some of his interviews when he talks about what in that film, he's like, Jason's dead. If Jason's not dead, there is no reason for Pamela to come back and actually kill people. And so right. what I went into was I started to trace Pamela back and I started to go back and watch interviews. And I watched an interview with uh, with Betsy Palmer, how she talked about, you know, the backstory of Pamela being having a young high school sweetheart. They fall in love. 
you know, she gives up virginity to, to him and, you know, draws the card of becoming the girl in high school who gets pregnant. Mm-hmm. And in 1947, when everybody's super religious and yes. everybody's super strict, that does not go over well. No, um, right. She gets kicked out. You know, she goes and lives wherever she can. She tries to make as much money as ever she can. And she's got this kid wherever she goes. He's deformed, you know, because he's, she's a single mom, because he's a bastard kid. Everybody thinks that it's a punishment from God or something or that there's right. something wrong with him. But yeah, yeah. really, you know, really, he's the sweetest boy in the world. And they love each other. And he's a boy. He runs off. He gets in trouble as a kid because he's, you know, he can't play with the other kids. So he's always spying on them, pretending that he's out there, pretending that he's, you know, having fun, eventually gets caught, eventually gets bullied, eventually gets everybody in in a tussy and they move on. Uh, Eventually they move to Camp Crystal Lake and life is good for a while. Um, The scene in Never Hike Alone where they go up in that room, I wrote that based on their backstory thinking when they first moved to Camp Crystal Lake, they probably didn't have enough money to move out and get a cabin yet. Mm -hmm. And Pamela wasn't living with the girls with Jason in there, and she certainly wasn't living in a separate bunk other than Jason. She had to be around him all the time. So what they did was in the kitchen, you know, in the pantry above the kitchen, Mm -hmm. they said, listen, there's some extra space up there. We can run a bed up there for you, hang some sheets, give you some stuff, make it feel homey. That will be your place until you can find a better one. Mm -hmm. And it was the first act of kindness that she ever received. And that was kind of the only time that her and Jason ever found any true belonging and happiness was in those moments where they were living above the kitchen and they had no one bothering them. Right. And that's why Jason recreated that specific thing. In previous films, he wasn't allowed back into the camp because there was stuff going on around there. Right. Now that there's this wildlife preserve and no one goes out there and nobody messes with it, he's moved back in and he's mm-hmm. gone to the only place that's ever brought him any solace. Um, so zapping back to the fifties, now Jason, they've been at camp. Um, he drowns. Um, and this is where things get interesting. Um, now you have to ask yourself as a filmmaker, as a storyteller is where do you go from here? Do you stick to logic? Do you try to logic this out? Or do you go into something that I learned along the way called entertainment logic? If it's entertaining, people will go along with it because they'd rather leave the bounds of this world and go into another one than have a film, try to force them back into the world that they already know. And is they're already bored with. Um, so at this moment where I go as, as a writer is the power of love believe it or not. Mm-hmm. Jason loves his mother so much that he can't sure. leave. He's dead, but he won't leave her. So his spirit stays behind and haunts her. So how does that tie into the film? Well, I mean, Mrs. Voorhees in the first one is talking to herself the entire time. Who do you think she's talking to? Sure. She's talking to the ghost of her kid. Yeah, she's crazy to you, but to her, she hears him loud and clear. Yeah, right. And his voice is muddled with all the rage that's in her heart. You know, she's killed two people already. She's been sabotaging the camp for 20 years. And now she's murdering everybody on the, you know, the long night at Camp Blood. And this is like, this is an insane event. And so when the writers of Friday the 13th started writing sequels in the 1980s, they didn't have 12 films to reference from. They had to make it up as they went. So they just, and they didn't really address it. Now that we have 12 films to reference from, you can look at what works and what doesn't work and what's interesting and what's not interesting. What was interesting to me was the, the concept of the death curse and how it got lost along the way. The concept that this, this place is cursed. And another thing that came up along the way that I thought was really smart was the filmmakers of the conjuring. Um, when they talked about like why ghosts make sense to them, is because, you know, I think uh, Elizabeth Warren says it in the film, her character says when, when, a, when a spirit is removed from this world in a violent manner or against their will or in some tragic way, it leaves a rift between our world and the world 
of passing and they're Mm -hmm. unable to pass through. And that's why they're still here. I mean, if there is ever a case for that to be true, it is the (laughs) night of Friday the 13th, the long night at Camp Blood, where Pamela Voorhees gets her head cut off defending the honor of her 12 year old boy who died 30 years ago or 20 something years ago. Um, and all of her blood spraying all over the beach and pouring into the water. Yes. And my feeling is the moment the blood hit that water, something supernatural started to happen. And whatever Jason was, he started to become something else. And because right. his body was still down there, still stuck in the weeds, probably still getting stepped on by kids unknowingly for all these years, <laughs> um, <laughs> it started to come back. And it did come back. Mm-hmm. And he woke up. And yeah. Even though he had been dead, his spirit had been with his mother this entire time. So there was some awareness of what was going on, but also a non-awareness and a a sudden jolt back to reality where he's now on the beach and his mother's head is rolling around in the sand. And all he can do is grab it and run off with it. And that moment, the tables reversed. Where Jason was talking to his mother, his mother is now talking to Jason. And that's when Jason was out there now trying to figure out what he was. And you have five years for him to pass. And this curse, whatever it is, to take form in him, um, to take, to to morph him, to do things to him. I mean, you can grow a lot in five years from 12 to 17. I went from 5'4 to 6'3. Sure. So, you know, you can imagine that in that five years, yeah, maybe he started to grow. And maybe it started to go there. And, and I see Jason as since that moment, even though he looks human, and he has human characteristics. He's really more like a T-1000. He's got a, yeah. he's got a living tissue exoskeleton. Yes. Right. That <laughs> looks great now. But as soon as it starts taking damage, it's not going to look so good. And sure. as soon as it starts to age, it's not going to age very well. And it's going to turn. And slowly but surely over time, as you peel off layer by layer, you're slowly going to get down to what Jason really is. And that is an undead killing machine. Yeah. Right. Uh, a living embodiment of the death curse that is that the moment anybody steps foot in that land, that 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 that's what needs to happen. And there is a battle, a small battle between that child's brain and what it is supposed to do and carry out Mm -hmm. that, you know, that creates that tension that creates that longing. That's why it takes him a little bit in the films to get out there because he has to kind of own up to it. You can imagine like, why did it take five years for him to kill somebody? Like, I wonder if over those five years he had to come to the, you know, realization that he really did have to kill people. Sure, yeah. sure, and probably time stands still for him too. If you if you really think about it, like we say mm-hmm. five years, but in the if you're living, Jason, say you you kind of like teleport to where he is. You know, five years could be five minutes. You know what I mean? Oh, totally. that, that could be sure. also too. And he lies dormant. You know, there is no time. So well, I think it's just he, a matter he, of when he's woke. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he, Jason's woke. Yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, he's, he's fully woke. He's fully really really woke. woke. Um, he uses all the right gender pronouns and everything. Well, I yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's easy to do that when you don't talk. So it's, it's right. you know, he never, never makes a mistake. Yeah, he's never had to apologize for saying the wrong thing. You know, he doesn't <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, he doesn't discriminate gender when he's just mutilating them. Um, <laughs> it doesn't matter not. what sex you are. He's he's for all. Mm-hmm. Like, what does it say? No lives matter to Jason. No lives matter to Jason. Um, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, but I mean, like. I, the nerd in me wants to I would never do this in a feature film, but if I was ever, you know, if anybody ever wanted to explore a Netflix series or even a YouTube series, it's like you could see moments where like you'd be with Jason at camp and you'd see what he sees. And I kind of liked even though Freddy versus Jason isn't my favorite movie, I kind of liked when you zipped back in time and saw life through his eyes just for a little bit as a boy. Sure. Um, sure. And I think he still does that. I yeah, think when yeah. he's sitting there passing time, he's looking out the window and all of a sudden he's there in a memory. Yeah, yeah. 
And then right when the memory is either going to be good or bad, it zaps him back to what he really is. And he's an undead killing machine. Mm -hmm. But when he's got nothing to kill, what's he got to do? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So he's not just he doesn't just go like, you know, I don't I don't like the, the thought of him like laying in the ground just waiting for somebody to come around. I just feel like he's passing time and right. he's going from memory to memory and, you know, always trying to reconnect himself with his mom in whatever yeah, way he can, go. whether it's, yeah. you know, sitting down, you know, in a certain place where they had a certain conversation once or going back to a place where a certain memory or where if he sits there, he can relive it. And mm -hmm. that's the only way that he can pass the time because he can't pass on and he doesn't know why he can't pass on. He doesn't know why he can't die. He doesn't have, he didn't get the, uh, the handbook for the dead right. when he died. No, you know, Beatles just right. didn't show up and say, Hey, I could hey, you hey, know, hey, just hey, say my name hey, three times. Hey, and we're going to get, you know, yeah. it was, it was, it's a big mystery to him and he's still trying to figure out what he is. He just knows that him and his mother were wronged and right. he was screwed over as a kid. His mother was screwed over, um, from the standpoint of no one took responsibility for his death. Sure. And when it was time for these people who were nice and who were willing to let her stay there to own up to their own mistakes, they instead chose to defend their own children. So they didn't, you know, miss any time out at college and send her packing instead. Mm -hmm. So, you know, so she was betrayed. And this is all about that betrayal, all about being let down, all about, you know, not being paid attention to. Sure. Um, sure. And and that's ultimately what this is, is that now forever Crystal Lake is cursed mm -hmm. and they will forever remember the Voorhees and they will never forget about them again. And that's kind of a cool when you look at it from a story standpoint, when you look at it from a cinematic theme standpoint, it's a really easy tool to apply and use over multiple films because you're no longer handcuffing yourself to logic. That's the thing we like about part six, seven, eight, nine to a certain degree, sure. 10 to yeah, a certain right. degree. Um, 11, it's, it's, that's the version of Jason. I think that fans have always wanted it to get to those films just weren't as tight and solid as the first four, which right. seemed to stick to the formula, have a game plan mm -hmm. and execute it, but put, put out there this human version of Jason. So ultimately what I did over time for never hike alone was come up with a world where Jason was always undead. Mm -hmm. He just slowly started to look that way over time and eventually in never hike alone he is the and you know he is what that version of jason became he's sitting there he has hollowed out you know caverns for eyes he doesn't have eyes anymore but he can still see um you know his teeth are all rotted and his skin's peeling away for the money that we had to build our costume we tried to get as close to an undead look as possible yeah. if i had even more budget <clears throat> you'd probably see more bones sticking out you'd have some of that part seven in there mm -hmm. um really seeing him deteriorated but sure. the reason why there's some new clothing on there um you know and coming up for stories with this too like i thought hey after part eight and I kind of ignored the New Line series in a certain way sure. when I tried to tell the story. I, one of my, if you can go and do anything as a Friday the 13th fan, what would you do? I would be like, well, I would make a sequel that just connected back to part eight and ignored everything New Line did. Yeah. Right. I'm, right. I'm good with that. So that, <laughs> I, and honestly, I think most fans would. It's not that like we want to yeah. like burn the, you know, we don't want to Fahrenheit 451, the New Line series. They're fun in their own right. I yeah, love Jason. Fine. I watch, I watch that whenever it is. Um, whenever I, you know, whenever it's on, but you know, it's like we, as a Friday the 13th fan, I felt like the story all of a sudden just stopped at eight mm -hmm. and we've been waiting for it to kind of come back around and never hike alone was an attempt to do that. Um, as a, as a storyteller. And, you know, so I started thinking about like, okay, part eight gets washed out to sea. He's got to come back to camp crystal Lake. But by this time, I mean, 
I mean, whatever he's wearing is melted away. His mask is gone again. Mm-hmm. And he's not going to want to walk around and stare at his rib cage and try to comprehend that as a 12-year-old boy. So he's going to cover himself back up. And I came up with mm-hmm. stories about like him getting more clothing, a new set of clothing, mm-hmm. um, you know, coming up with a backstory for the ghost mask, which the ghost hawk, which um, basically going back into the timeline of Friday the 13th and say, where do you insert this in? You know, thinking about it like if it was a series. So you'd have a show where you'd cut to Steve Christie in 1967 showing up. Right. And mm-hmm. finally, they're going to reopen the camp. They're all getting good. They have equipment there. They got everything set up. Um, they're even going to do a winter camp that year. So he bought a bunch of hockey gear. He's put that in the locker room. And then that's the year they have a fire. And one of the cabins burns down. Right. And now they don't have the money to stay open and repair it. So they got to cut it down for another set of years. And who knows what gets in his way between then and 1979 or 1980. Whenever right. it sure. Uh, well, I even so, saw in, yeah. your, uh, in your one set that there was a few hockey masks on one of the shelves in the background. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so we want... You know, he yeah, had options. That was, yeah, he had options. You know, he could have <laughs> gone the bloody murder route if he wanted to. Yeah. Um, but he kind of, found, you know, he has a look. He's sticking to it. Um, sure. He just gave it a little bit of a haircut and a little bit of a different feel. And, um, yeah, and so we, and that was part of it. I think that, you know, part of telling Never Hike Alone was also telling the story of the camp and right. where that's been through and trying yeah. to not just create an empty facade, not just a backdrop that mm-hmm. is could be anything. You know, you throw some ores up, you throw a couple things up, and it is whatever it is. It was yep. it was really about saying if this was a real place, if this was really Camp Crystal Lake, and we need all these things to happen, what had to happen, and where do things need to be? Right. And that was a lot of what went into the pre-production of Never Hike Alone was coming up with what needed to be there, what fed in, even the things as silly as a Playboy. I mean, yeah. it was coming up with like, yeah, of course you're going to find the Steve, the the Playboy in Steve Christie's office because he's a pervert. Right. Like, look at that mustache. Right. And he's creeping those, on Alice. Those it's like, so shorts, we wanted, yeah. Oh, yeah, yep. yeah, those yep. shorts. So we wanted to, <laughs> to play on that. And so every every little thing, even though it was – in that was obviously like came from, well, this is a Friday the 13th film. We do owe the fans some type of TNA. Um <laughs> But let's do yeah, it. In, let's yeah. do it in a way that they wouldn't expect it. And we did try to work marijuana into the film, but it did not work at all. Um, it really. We were going to have Kyle smoke a little bit of weed that he finds a joint in his bag. Um, right. And we wrote that in, and we shot that scene. And after, like, right after we yelled cut on the last shot, I was like, "This isn't going in the picture." It's like it just makes him look like an idiot. Like, and we can't. Right, have, right. Gotcha. This was. It was supposed mm-hmm. to lead into. We had this like. You have like the craziest ideas while you're filming, um, and we were going to have him smoke weed. Right after the second the second day, um, hey, it's day two and a beautiful one at that. He was going to find the joint while he's rolling up his bag, smoke a joint, wander into the woods, get lost, and then find the no trespassing scene sign. Kind of like the weed unlocked the sign. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So, and then I kind of went, this is getting way too, <laughs> like getting way too out of here. He's just going to leave and find the sign. Um, mm-hmm. And it just you know it brought down his character in a certain way. So we're like, we tried, but it didn't fit. Um, right. Yeah, it's hard with one guy. Yeah, it's hard with one guy. Into him. Yeah, yeah, he can't. He can't be all the all the cliches and yeah, all the tropes. Yeah. He's also the jock <laughs> and the hot chick. <laughs> yeah. And you know, and the hot other, chick. <laughs> well, we did. Um, we never ended up using the shop, but there was a joint. There was a half smoke roach in uh, in Steve Christie's. Um, uh, uh, he had an ashtray. So we had that. We ended up, we didn't, you know, it was just, again, it's like you use what best services the film. Mm -hmm. There was no reason for me to shoehorn a shot of an ashtray with a joint in it when it had cooler ones of creepy looking ducks. Yes. Um, It was either the joint or the ducks and I went with the ducks. So, so (laughs) sue me. Um, (laughs) 
yeah. So it was kind of like it was stuff like that. But you know, it was always is always thinking about with this film, what is the core audience? What have, what have we experienced as a core audience over the years, and how can we just shift the lens just a little bit so it feels new but feels familiar, and and present something that's a more that the foundation is there. It just feels like the foundation is a little bit more there than in previous Fridays where it was just kind of like, do whatever you want. Who cares? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And now he teleports. Now he does whatever he wants. And I know people think that he, he teleports in that, in that scene, but he really doesn't. It's just a camera trick. Well, that <laughs> right. was, that, that was, um, it was funny when I was watching it because I played the game and I'm such mm-hmm. a fan of the game too. I'm thinking going, here it is. Here's he's teleporting, but no, you're right. It was just kind of like a fat, <laughs> you know, he's just moving fast. You know, it wasn't that teleport, but I was just, I mean, it it didn't disappoint me at all. It was like, well, this is cool. This is good. Look, this is, I was telling my son, like, hey, maybe that's what he does in the game. You know, this is what it looks like or something. Well, it's fun. And again, it was like one of the things where like because the game came out, everyone's like, oh, he morphed. <laughs> right, right, like, right. If, and the thing is, is like if you want to believe that, by all means, believe sure, it. Sure, right. Go ahead. The best, the best theory that I love, um, I didn't – I'm not taking credit for the idea because it wasn't very <laughs> smart. Um, but somebody who um, was talking about the film was like, I thought that that was like his spirit coming up to the, like, he's not there yet. He's still back at the camp, but he senses Kyle and something Uh, about him is, is like, that's like a warning. It's like almost his spirit is warning him before he's going to like, I guess, materialize and then actually Mm -hmm. do something. And I was like, that's actually a really cool thing. I kind of like that. Yeah. Um, you know, for me, it was just, he's, he's out there just testing it. And he's out there seeing what this kid's made of, what, you know, how reactive is he going to be? And the first thing the kid does is jump up with a knife in his hand. And, you know, this isn't the first time we've seen a serial killer be behind somebody in one shot and then disappear in the next. I mean, it's like one of the most famous shots in Halloween. He's just all of a sudden not behind, you know, the the hedge bush. Um, And that's kind of and that's kind of what I was going for. It was just that he's there. He's, you know. What, what, what is this? What, what's going on here? You haven't quite oh, crossed yeah, the line yeah. yet, so I'm not going to get you, but, right. you know, I got my eye on you, kid. No, it's and fine. Yeah, yeah, so it was kind of like, that was kind of that, that thinking behind that. Sure. So uh, then the, the ending of this movie, like it, it goes for kind of a whole uh, twist and then a, a little redirection there at the ending. And then, mm-hmm. you know, you, you kind of throw in this, um, I don't mean it in a disrespectful manner, but, you know, kind of a fan service moment. Mm-hmm. and um how did what was that obviously you didn't originally think like oh we'll go get tommy jarvis to be in the movie <laughs> right when you were now, thinking about making a 20 minute movie but how did that sort of come together as your uh your ending segment for the movie well it came together um i mean prior to this like i never thought anybody from the franchise would touch this thing sure mm-hmm. um but our you know give him his credit where credit is due. I mean, Barry J who was one of our uh, executive producers who came in in the fall, he was one of the people who didn't need Kickstarter to be on this project. He was like in it to win it from the beginning. And he just, you know, he lives in LA. He happened to, you know, he's a businessman and he ended up having a deal with somebody and to sweeten the deal. Those people had arranged a dinner with him and Tom Matthews because they knew how much of a big Friday the 13th they were. And they were a personal friend of Tom. And so it was just, it's kind of weird things like that happen out here in Hollywood. It's yes, like, yeah, yeah. you know, it just turns out that your your niece's friend is James Franco's, you know, sister. It's like, you know, <laughs> right. you know and next thing you know, he's over your house right. eating hot dogs and you don't know what the hell's going on. Um, right. So, right. so through sure. this, you know, you know, through this happy coincidence of 
of things. You know, Barry goes out on this dinner with him and, you know, Tom went out with his, his wife, Carla, and, and Barry was out uh, with his partner. And they, you know, we're talking Friday and nerding out about it. And at the end of the dinner, he goes, you know, I started backing this this fan film and there's this really cool trailer. You should see it. And Tom was like, oh, Jesus. And mm-hmm. and, Tom, and, <laughs> right. and Barry showed him the trailer, um, the first one. And Tom was like, wow, that ain't half bad. Yeah. Wow. What, how do they, yeah. does it, like, how, like, do they have a helicopter? Like, what's going on? And so Barry's like, no, they shoot with drones and they do this stuff. And they're really, you know, they're able to get this really cool, like high production value. And, and Barry asked him straight out, he goes, you know, if we came up with a part for you, would you want to do a cameo? And he said, well, I'll think about it. And Barry got home, called me, told me, I was like, you got to be kidding me. Are you serious right. about that? <laughs> um, well, what do we do? And he goes, well, I'm going to set up a lunch between you and Tom and you have to pitch him on what, how you think he can fit into the movie. Um, and so prior to this, the last time I saw Tom Matthews was at uh, Monster Palooza in like 2009 or 2010. Okay. And I was I was too scared to go up to the table and talk to him because I didn't know what to say. Sure. Right. Yeah. Exactly. It would, yeah. It's I think weird. I think it would have come out something where you're my hero would have come out like like a thousand times on repeat and nothing else would have ever come out and I would have had a right. complete conversation with him but it all would have been like oh you, well you're my hero mm-hmm. and you're my hero you're just you're just my hero. And yeah. I didn't know what to say to him. And so I was like, oh, my God, I have to go talk to this guy. <laughs> um, I sat down and we had been filming all fall at this point. And um, and as uh, we were sitting there, I was like, listen, like the trailer you saw is one thing, but you got to see the second trailer. So I showed him our second trailer. And that sort of like was the moment where he was like, OK, I'm taking you guys seriously. If you got a real part for me, tell me what it is and let's do it. And I said, listen, like originally, you know, cause we had, we're still kind of like, um, we were still futzing with the ending at this point. Cause we didn't know whether Kyle was going to die, whether he was going to live. Right. Um, we were watching the comments and people really wanted to see some death in the film. So we started coming up with this ambulance idea and like, we'll have him kill all the ambulance drive, you know, we'll have him kill the entire ambulance team. It'll yeah. be really cool. And he'll climb in the ambulance at the end and he'll kill Andrew too. And that's how the film will end. He, he gets him in the ambulance and everyone will cheer. Right. And when we inserted Tommy into that scene, because we had talked about it, I said, listen, I thought about you as a character. I obviously already have this scene written, so obviously I'm lazy and I'm going to try and put you in it <laughs> and not have to change too much or have to go back and rewrite the beginning of the film, the end of the film, and try to do all this stuff. You know, I think where you're most useful now is we don't tell anybody you're in this film. We do this entire film. Everybody thinks it's, it's just a fan film. And right. we're going to surprise them with our cinematography. Then we're going to surprise them with our stunts. Then we're going to surprise them with our VFX. And then our last rabbit out of the hat is going to be Tom Matthews, <laughs> Tommy Jarvis himself. And you're going to pop up at the end and everyone's going to lose their mind. Yeah. If I tell people you're in the film now, if I write this whole thing around you, um, it's going to attract attention that maybe we don't want. You know, it could set the rights holders in a tizzy and we could get in big trouble. Um, or it's going to set up people's expectations and they're just going to expect, you know, Tommy Jarvis, the movie and end up with Kyle, the hiker, and they're going to be let down. So let's keep this a surprise. But as a character, you know, I did think about it and Tommy who is now out of his mental institution who has to make a life for himself. How many jobs is he really going to do that? He's actually going to be able to stay concentrated in EMT makes a lot of sense. You know, he's, he might have gone through a lot of trauma, but that also means he's pretty numb to it. And he's going to be the first person you want running into the fire because he's seen an undead killing machine come after him and his friends for so many years. And he fought off the last paramedic, you know, he's going to replace the one that he killed. (laughs) Um, Sure. And he's like, this ain't shit. 
Plus, <laughs> you know, and plus you go into those things where it's like when you when you're not thinking too hard about it, you're like, you know, paramedics have been a big part of the Friday the Thirteenth franchise for a long time. It's mm-hmm. kind of yeah. cool to put a spotlight on one now in a positive way. Yeah, you know, they've yeah. been like the scaredy cats who are picking up Jason in part four, the pervy guy who's getting, you know, the mm-hmm. mortician, or it's, you know, it's Roy who got his, mm-hmm. you know, moment in the sun. Right. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and so it was like, oh, I can I can see Tommy doing this because one, Tommy's never going to believe that Jason is dead. He's never going to let that one go. Right. Still dealing with hallucinations, but hiding that from people. Um, and. You know, he wants to keep the finger on the pulse because he thinks Jason's coming back some way, shape or form. I mean, Jason eventually got let off that leash and he's not there anymore. And, you know, Tommy knows that he's not there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so being an EMT puts his ear to the ground for yeah. unusual deaths, unusual disappearances, unusual things that have happened. And he gets to keep his finger on the pulse. But him and Jason have been doing this dance for 30 years where Jason has receded, had become recluse Um and the town has taken action by creating the wildlife preserve. So nobody's really going out there. And if people do go out there, they never come back. Um, and so there's no one out there trying to actively open the camp. There's no one drawing Jason out. And so the, the system has kind of worked for all this time. And the thing that changes the system, and this kind of delves into what we want to do if we're ever allowed to do Never Hike Alone 2, is we have a character that goes in and wakes up the monster and draws it out. Mm-hmm. And that's, after 30 years, what... Tommy has necessarily been waiting for. He just doesn't know if it's actually going to come true. So in this scene, he is questioning mm-hmm. because he has been searching for Jason. He's very aware that Jason could be out there, but right. he hasn't seen him in a long time. So when things start to get weird, he's questioning himself because he can't go full on boy cried wolf or else, you know, he might lose his job. Sure. You know, I'm mm-hmm. sure that he's got to talk to before about, you know, yelling at the police, you know, calling up you know, the sheriff yeah. on the phone and being like, Jason's out there and them showing up and Jason not being there. I'm sure that he's maybe had a couple of those instances. So he might yeah, want to I'm keep sure. his lid shut. Um, and so through the whole first half of this. So like basically like so once I told once I was able to explain to him, like, listen, I've thought about him as, as an EMT. It makes a ton of sense. He was in. Um, yeah. and then we started rewriting the scene because obviously the scene that I had showed him, everybody died and he was like, you can't kill Tommy. And I went, I agree. I will get crucified. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. they'll, they'll sink me at the bottom of crystal Lake. Never mind. <laughs> Never mind, <laughs> yeah, Jason. Yeah. Um, exactly. so let's come up with something cool and you know, credit goes to my wife as I was sitting there kind of contemplating, I'm going, well, I have two, I have two options. Either everyone lives or everyone dies. And if I make everyone live, everyone's going to be mad. And if I make everyone mm-hmm. die, everyone's going to be mad. So what do I do? And my wife was like, well, what happened to Tommy? And I was like, oh, he got right. pulled out. You know, you guys had crushed or something, or we don't know, really know what happened to him. She goes, right. so he could still be alive. Right. And I was like, yeah. Oh, there wait a go. second. He can climb back in the van and he can drive away and he can save the day and we can have a sequel. I was like, this is great. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was like, this is going to be, the, I was like, this is the best ending ever. It's like, they're going to drive off into the sunset. He's going to be leading Jason back into town. And we're going to say to the world, Hey, we want more stories. This might be a good one to tell. Mm-hmm. Uh, and from there, as soon as we came up with that ending, I started writing never hike alone too. And this was like in May, nice. even before, no, this was like in April. Um, okay. When I, when I was rewriting this, cause I, because Tom had signed up in November um, I had sent him the scene. We had talked about it. And then I was like, listen, I got to get prepared for, you know, we were doing the head crush scene that, that spring we were mm-hmm. doing yeah. lots of the big fight scenes that spring. I was like, listen, we're not going to film you till like July. So I got time to write this and ended up sending him the first draft in like April. And we went back and forth. And then my wife pitched that brilliant idea and I rewrote it and put that in there and, and he loved it. Um, 
And we started to talk, and then I started to talk about Nibra Hegelone too. And we started getting into some of the details I was just telling you about, about where he's been and who he's up against and all these different things. And so we put in some Easter eggs into the, into that scene that you don't really understand what it is right now, but we did it. So if we were ever allowed to make Nibra Hegelone two, the two films will cross in this scene. Okay. And so this yeah. one we've only seen from Kyle's perspective and Nibra right. Hegelone two, sure. the film is going to be from Tommy's perspective. And it's the same events, okay. just all on oh, how he gets called. Nice. There. Nice. Yeah. And, and so it's kind of like the lead up to that moment. The act one finale is the ambulance attack. And then from there, we tell the rest of Never Hike Alone. And what is going to yeah. come to be Friday the 13th? What's been going on all this time? Who the players are, mm -hmm. which is a lot of fun because we want to bring mm -hmm. back some alumni and, um, and, and tell this story. So, so it, was, it was really a setup to end the film in a way that, yeah, we knew it was fan service like 100% because that's mm -hmm. exactly what I wanted. You know, that year, Friday the 13th fans got the news that their film was getting shut down. You know, before that happened in January of 2017, Never Hike Alone was going to come out in August and stay well away from mm -hmm. the Friday the 13th that was coming out. So we didn't step on their toes. The minute Paramount canceled that, turned to my team and said, we're going after Friday the 13th. Hey, yeah, right. And, and we yeah. have Tom Matthews. So yeah. let's let's cheer up some Friday fans this year. And yeah. and that was the whole I didn't care. I didn't care that it didn't that it might have not have made sense on the surface. I did all the due diligence to make it make sense. And it does make sense um, when you really, it, all the clues are there. You just got to kind of pick up on them. But um, we, I, I just knew, I just knew that on Friday the 13th, if we did our job and then we, you know, had Tom Matthews appear to the end, I don't care if like even half the audience didn't even know who he was and never watched Friday the 13th. <laughs> it still worked within the context of the film. Absolutely. But I just knew, you know, and I've seen some of the reaction videos, and that's my favorite part to watch. I fast forward sure. right to Tom. I go, all right, let's <laughs> your face. You know what I mean? And yep. it's kind of like, yep. Yep. and that was born, you know, I remember the first time I saw Saw, and he stands up at the end, and I was like, holy crap, I didn't realize yep. he's been mm -hmm. was a spoiler alert, everybody. Um, I didn't realize <laughs> this the whole time. And I took my friends back the next, the next night, and I turned around in the seat, and I watched them during that moment. Yeah. And, I, and that's exactly. like, from a filmmaking standpoint, that's the moment I realized what it's what it really means to be a filmmaker. It's yeah. making people's jaws drop. It's yeah, making people right. emote reaction to what's going on, on the screen, even though when you're on set, it's nothing but, you know, uh, glue and wires. Sure. And you're out there mm -hmm. making and <laughs> you're making it work between the frame. And it was a real cool like that was a cool experience. And I knew that when Tom came on and he was going to open those doors that I had my, you know, jigsaw standing up in the middle of the room and saying, guess what? You guys, none of you figured this out and right. none of you saw this coming and you thought that this was going to be a stupid little fan film. Well, guess what? One of your heroes is back and we're about to play one final scene that should, you know, yeah. get you excited for more Friday to come in the future and hopefully tell the you know, the powers that be that are in charge of this franchise that we want more Jason. Sure. Absolutely. Um, that was the, that was, that was the absolute pointed purpose of mm -hmm. that scene was to say, we want more Friday. We want to tie back into the old story. We, you know, you, you just did it with Halloween. I mean, come on. Like if you're yeah. just going to eliminate, yeah. like, like you keep doing, they've done it four times. Yes. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Oh, those don't yeah. count anymore. That doesn't count anymore. Yeah. And this counts, but that doesn't count. You know, it's like, well, let us play that with Friday the 13th and we could build quite a franchise off of that. Oh, mm -hmm. That's sure. Friday the 13th is ever needed is a little bit of a, I guess what they're calling the term is a fast forward. Um, mm -hmm. And is a little bit of just a, a, a reset and then go. Don't rewrite the entire book. Don't build tunnels under Camp Crystal yeah. Lake. Mm -hmm. And try to lock this out like a pair of logical people. This is not a logical story. 
it's the sure. most illogical right. story of all time, and that's why we love it so much. So bend exactly. into that and just tell us a really great tale. And then with today's technology, I mean, we did this with $40,000. If I had, you know, even $5 million, the things I would do to Jason and have him get back up, I mean, it, yeah, the yeah. Terminator, you know, the Terminator analogy would be put in full test mm -hmm. because that's, yeah, that's yeah. I see Jason. It's this thing that's going to, you're going to shoot it with a shotgun. It's going to fall down. It's going to stand back up and it's going to keep coming after mm -hmm. you. Right. And that makes him scary. Yeah. And the whole thing, Friday the 13th film in today's market is you want to keep building a series of sequences where it's. A character on one side, a wall, and Jason on the other. And whatever that wall is can be a million different things. But you're going to see actually break through that defense and get his victim. And mm -hmm. that's what's yeah, going to yeah. be scary. They're going to make all the right decisions and they're still going to lose. Sure, and then yeah. when they get stabbed or when they get injured, it's not going to be a quick death. Mm -hmm. That's part two. Because yeah. in the 80s, it was chop dead. And this right. one, it's going to chop, suffer, 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 die. Yeah. <laughs> <And> <laughs> that... And through that, it's going to be there. Because if you think about I mean, we were talking about it before, like a 12-year-old boy killing people isn't necessarily probably the most efficient machine. So he's not going to hit the right artery. You know, he's right. not John. So he's going to chop them bluntly and wildly mm -hmm. and hit something that's going to make them bleed to death. And it's going to be a horrible death. Yeah. And there's something scary about that. Oh, yeah. Not, exactly. Exactly. Not sadistic. He's not out there like, he's not saw. He's not jigsaw. No, he's he not, doesn't care. You know, sadistic is the, world, yeah. the word that you use for like pinhead. You know, right. he's pulling back your skin and slowly torturing you and doing that. Jason is, I see you, I crush you, I kill you as fast as I can. Right. And well, yeah, you've, sometimes you've seen him yeah. do that a lot where he will take somebody down and he's like, all right, you know, fuck that guy. And then he walks away and then <laughs> all of a sudden the guy comes back and he's like, what the fuck? Like, I gotta do some more <laughs> shit to this guy now. And yeah, like, like, yeah, like, do it. yeah, yeah. Like yeah, I always think of the, uh, the bikers in part three. Oh yeah, he, like beats the shit out of the guy, and the guy comes back at the end, and he's like, "All right, now yep. I gotta just sit here and chop you with the machete for five minutes." I'm gonna make sure. You, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. He's learning. <laughs> Jason's learning, you know. And uh, yeah, I think the I most scariest death is anytime anyone bleeds out. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like if they're mm -hmm. and they take that 15 minutes, 20 minutes, and they're running and they're constantly like, bleeding out and they're you know getting pale and of course you know killers on is on the trail and stuff and it's like. Yeah, you know, sometimes it's satisfying just that quick death. You know, that, that's what the Friday Thirteenth uh, franchise became. It's like how we have twenty body, you know, twenty deaths in this in this movie. So every one of them has to be creative. Sure. And they're like, okay, you know, this, mm -hmm. you know, head crash, da 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 da, whatever. But now let's bring some horror elements mm -hmm. into the franchise. I think that's what we've been wanting, you know, mm -hmm. for a long time. Mm -hmm. Well, that, that was part of what Never Hike Alone's mission was. It was that we, mm -hmm. we had one character, so we didn't hinge it on body count, blood right. everywhere. It was slow injuries that were slowly going to take this guy down. I mean, the fighting yes. aspect, the fact that he cracks his ribs on the, you know, on the tree, the fact that he cuts his leg on the fence, mm -hmm. the fact that you know, his arm gets mm -hmm. cut and he gets stabbed in the stomach. It's like yes. all of these mm -hmm. things which in an 80s movie, not maybe not the arm slice or the leg slice, but that stomach stab in the 80s probably would have killed an 80s character, even yeah. though yeah. they would have died hours later. Right. Uh, right. It was, it's, it's just something to see a, a character have to overcome and overcome and overcome. And yeah, at full strength, they might be actually able to overcome pretty easy, but you see each of those strengths taken away throughout the film. It makes you want to root for them even more. Right. Um, yeah. 
And that's the key, yep. I think, to a really good horror film is you want characters to root for. You have to get behind the good guys or else you're just going to be sitting around waiting for them to die. And unfortunately, oh, sure. in, in, in horror movies, you're not following Jason 90% of the time and the idiots 10%. It's the other way around. Right. So you have to yeah. enjoy that time with those characters and they actually have to be doing something that's worth watching and mm -hmm. distracting you to make you forget that you're in a horror movie. So when it does make that turn, it's yep. unexpected mm -hmm. rather than I've been waiting for this. Thank God this is over. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it creates two different experiences for the film. And I think some, you know, some filmmakers lean on, you know, let's make a bunch of characters. So the, the audience cheers when they die. And those films can be fun sometimes. But with Jason, I wanted something that was a little bit, even though you wouldn't think about this as Friday the 13th, but a little bit more sophisticated. Um, and show oh, that sure. he could be used in that way. And that's what made me afraid of him when I was a kid. It didn't make yeah, me yeah. afraid of him to see the kid, the kill, like to see him kill the kids that were stupid. It made me afraid when he was going after little Tommy Jarvis, because when I was a kid and two, he was likable or even right. the idiots like Crispin Glover and, you know, and Teddy and, and what's his face. Right. Um, like they were dumb, but they were funny. I didn't want to see them right. die. And yeah, when they did die, right. I felt bad for them. So it, it, those, I, I went based off my experiences with those films and my experience yeah. told me that let's make, let's not make, you know, Kyle Logan Paul. He's not right. out there being oh, annoying, you. Yeah. you know, peeing on dead bodies and stuff like that. He's actually being respectful <laughs> yeah, of where he is. He seems like a good he guy. Yeah, he yeah, seems yeah. like, uh, t tells a good joke every now and then, um, you know, seems to like his audience, seems to connect with his audience and is, is you know, likable. I think, you know, the scene where he yeah. does the, you know, that was kind of the whole scene, the, the whole point behind the scene where he's doing the shovel was mm -hmm. to show that he's human. He's not just, you know, he's out there shilling stuff, but as anyone who's ever done voiceover work or anybody who's ever like had to shill anything in their life, I mean, that's how those sessions usually go. You flub a word, you do something, the dogs keep barking, the yeah, cars yeah, keep right. barking, stuff keeps happening and you're just trying to do your job so you can make, you know, the hundred bucks they're, they're going to give you for carrying that shovel over the weekend. Sure. Uh, yep. and never use it again. You know what I mean? And it's just, you know, he's trying to make a living doing this. So it's like, I think yeah, that people yes. kind of saw him as not a, mm -hmm. you know, he wasn't bare grills. He was, right. He was right. one of us. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And he, no, I, it was totally I, relatable. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. And the shovel came in handy when he had to sword fight with it. Yeah, that was fun. So yeah. that's that always, uh, yeah, that's always a ringing endorsement when you can, also use it to defend yourself from Jason. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it is amazingly strong. So yes. good chop firewood and also defend well, your life. Yeah. <laughs> well, that I mean, we always try to have fun with that. And that was like one of the things we thought of, like we were talking about before, like afterwards when we were thinking about it, like, oh, this thing's going to save his life later on. He should totally yes. shit off for it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. No, ex exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, so exactly we, what I was thinking as, yeah. as watching it, like, you know, he sh he's shitting on it, but yeah, it's... Uh, this thing, <laughs> yeah, it's cool. it, it came into play. It was yeah, great. and clever audience members have caught on that. They're right. like, they've said, "Oh, this is going to come back into play later." That's mm -hmm. a, you know, they kind of recognize the setup, and that's cool. Sometimes it's fun to recognize it, and I think people who, you know, it just depends on how you enjoy movies. I'm definitely one of those people that tries to pick yep. up on what people are putting down. I pay attention to everything a character touches. Oh uh, yeah, right. You know, that's one of the things they teach you. Um, you know, don't have your characters pick up things that don't mean anything because it's more money to your budget. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> so right. don't write those things into the film. Only write what needs to be there. Yeah. So, or if they're going to pick something up, make it mean something. You know, Chekhov's gun, yep. you know, all those types of stuff. Yeah. Come to play later. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, the, you know, the entire way I wrote Never Hike Alone was that way. I mean, if you watch, if you go back and you study Never Hike Alone, basically, if you split it down the middle mm -hmm. at time wise and, and story wise, you'll see that 
basically everything in the first half of the film is setting something up that pays off in the back end. Right. Like, yeah. why are we why are we remaking The Shining at the beginning of the film? Because we want to show that he's way out in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Right. And the further we get him out, it makes sense for why he's doing his last confessional, why there's no other choice but to go back towards the camp because that's the closest thing that will save him. If he yeah. goes back to where he came from, we obviously know that that's a trail with nobody on it. And he's been talking about all I have to do is get in the other side of the cove. And if I can do mm-hmm. that, I can find somebody. So we've set that up as kind of a yeah, yeah. that's the goal line. If that's the goal line, running back isn't going to do him any good, especially without right. a map, especially without, you know, any food, with yeah. any medical supplies to, you know, heal that wound. that's going to end up giving, mm-hmm. putting him into shock at some point. Right. Um, he couldn't even go back know, to think, his vehicle because he didn't have keys. Didn't have a key. So even right. if he get back to his car, where's, where's he driving to? You know yeah. what I mean? Good. I mean, that, that's another good point. It's it's it's. You know, we wanted to create a character that felt that like the decisions that he made maybe weren't the the easiest, but it's what he had to do. And that's what makes good characters yeah. is when you face yeah. them with a challenge and they step up to it rather than saying like, well, absolutely, you know, my best my best shot is to take this on. I'm either I'm going to die either way. So I'd rather die fighting than running. And yeah. that's and I think that that's, you know, how I came up with that as a as a good emotional like jumping off point for him to return to Camp Crystal Lake and kick the third act of the film off the way that it does. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's cool. So before we wrap up, um, is there anything else that you are working on? I know you had mentioned that you were, you were doing some editing, but I don't know if there's mm-hmm. anything you can share with us or things that you would like to be working on or anything like that, that you have going. Yeah. I mean, I, it's kind of funny. Sometimes I, I feel like I'm not working on anything and then I realize that I'm working on a ton of stuff. Um, it's all, <laughs> you know, it's just all inching stuff down the line. The BTS that I'm cutting is for the never hike alone Blu-ray. Um, that is mostly taking up most of my time. Um, oh, okay. I, you know, we had the crowdfunding thing that, that we went in, I believe this January again, we went back to crowdfunding because so many fans had requested, um, Blu-rays or some type of hard copy of the, of the film that I figured out a way for us to do it. Um, basically it pays for itself just like it did the production. You know, you guys had asked before, um, how do you do fan film? The very simple answer is you just don't profit. You can raise money. Yes. Um, each franchise will allow you to raise different amounts. Paramount for Star Trek set it at $50,000. So if, and Mm. Paramount was the one who kind of got angry at the other fans for raising 1.2 million to make a Star Trek fan film. So I said, you know what? If Paramount's the one that gets mad at $50,000, I'll cut off at 50. Um, and if, you know, we'll just see if we even get there. You know what I mean? Um, the, the Blu-ray went right to 50 and, uh, I stopped promoting it just so we would stop making like money. Like I was like, I'm going to slow this down and keep it out there, but I'm not going to promote it as much. We ended up making $50,000. All of that money is being put into the film. You know, Blu-rays aren't free to print. Um, we also got scripts and posters and people bought hockey masks and somebody actually got a little doll of Jason, a little 12 inch, uh, repro. It's so cool. It's in my house right now. I'm hanging onto it for the BTS and put them in the background. Um, so that person who got that, it was only one of them. It was one of a kind. Um, so that person's going to have, uh, you know, a little go- uh, custom ghost Jason that's not only one of a kind, but it was also in our BTS. Um, mm-hmm. So that's kind of a cool little keepsake for them. Nice. Um, and part of the Blu-ray package is the behind-the-scenes interviews that we did, uh, kind of explaining a lot of the stuff that we did in this podcast. But you just get to see us on screen when we do sure, it. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, no, I, I, it's kind of funny. I've been doing the BTS and I'm like realizing that like, you know what? I feel like I've been on like so many podcasts where I've answered these questions, but if they want it on the Blu-ray, they want it on the Blu-ray. I'm not going to stop them. There so I'm go. cutting that. But other than that, I do have a bunch of friends who are working on stuff and that I've helped on with. The first is a, a Michael Myers fan film called uh, The Spirit of Haddonfield. 
Um, that was directed by a friend of mine named Renee Rivas, and he um, hired me to play Michael, which was a lot of fun. So I, you know, I played Michael. I played Jason for Never Hike Alone for half of it. Brian Force was my stunt double, who handled a lot of fighting, so I could handle camera work. Right. Um, and you know. That was fun to do both, but when I got to work with Renee, I just got to be Michael the entire time. I didn't have to be Vinny nice. the producer. I didn't have to be Vinny anybody else but Michael <laughs> nice, Myers. Nice. And so we made a you know a fun little twenty minute uh, fan film um, where we went out to Flagstaff where he lives and and shot it there. Uh, we did it in two weekends with almost no budget. Um, much cheaper to do a Halloween fan film than it is a Friday the Thirteenth fan film. There's much less to Michael's costume than there is to right. to Jason. Okay. Um, and we built a small team and did it. And, you know, unlike Never Hike Alone, which was a $40,000, you know, big budget studio type attempt, I think what Renee did a really good job was was show people that, okay, we know that Never Hike Alone was this big whatever, but you don't need all this to tell a cool little story. And mm -hmm. if you can, and I know a lot of cinematographers have the same tools that Renee have out there. Let's show what you can do when you just have an imagination and a love for a specific film or genre or anything absolutely yeah um and so he went out with that kind of mentality and we did i mean we 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 had to be very creative um but we came up with a cool set of sequences that you know puts a character against michael and that's going to be coming out on october 1st it's free um like i said we didn't even have to kickstart it so it's just it's already done it's just going to be cool. you know, released on october 1st i have another set of friends of mine who are doing another halloween fan film because everyone is all halloweened out this year um it's called sure, the yeah. face Face of Michael Myers. They're going to be going to to Indiegogo, I think, on the twenty fourth. It's called like Hawthorne Film. So keep an eye out for that. Um, I will be playing Michael in that one too. Um, they found out I did Spirit of Haddonfield, and they said, "Would you do it again?" And I said, "I would love to do it again. I love like <laughs> love playing these characters. I don't have to come on set and be a producer or do any any work on right. set. I just have to wear the mask and act." Sign me yeah, up. Yeah, just go yeah. out there and geek out. Yeah. Yeah. So we're doing that. I have uh, another set of friends who are doing a Friday the Thirteenth fan film called Mythos, which is currently on Indiegogo. They're trying to raise money. Um, and then the next thing that we're building up as far as Womp Stomp film goes is a film called Pathosis, which is going to be directed by a friend of mine by the name of Austin Bonet. Um, Austin is a pre-visualization artist who works at a company called The Third Floor. Um, for these, for those who don't know what pre-visualization is, it's basically making the movie before you make the movie. Um, there's right. so much that goes into like these Marvel X-Men movies. And he basically this way, he designed the camera work and the blocking for the Quicksilver scene in X-Men's Days of Future Pass. So when oh, he's okay. running around and saving everybody, mm -hmm. um, slow motion, he designed that, won an award for it. Um, nice. he's been wanting to direct his own, he, a lot like me, he's been working in the industry, paying his dues. He's been building the camera work for some of the most biggest blockbusters that you've seen in the last, you know, 10 years. And, um, now he wants to do it for himself. Um, nice. and so we're helping him do a film called pathosis, which is more of a psychological, uh, ghost thriller. Um, and we're going to go to Indiegogo in about two weeks in August. Um, we have a previs trailer kind of leaking around, but we're going to do an official announcement sometime next week. Okay. Um, and it's really cool. And so we're just trying to get people to go and support him. This one I'm going to be producing as a producer and kind of stepping into that role. And our goal is to, unlike the other films, which are kind of going for a smaller budget approach, we're uh, looking to raise about $15,000 and go after the Never Hike Alone style look as a proof of concept for a feature production. Nice. So, um, so that, you know, that's something that I've always, you know, believed in. And in turn, Austin is helping me with uh, some Never Hike Alone 2 uh, stuff that we're getting ready. Um, you know, we want to pitch it to the studios. We also want to pitch it to the fans. We want to see mm -hmm. if there is a world for Never Hike Alone 2. How do we get it to market? 
Um, do we go the fan film route again? Can we get official backing? What can we do? So there's a lot to explore in that route. Sure, and sure. then beyond that, it's writing original scripts. Um, you know, the, it's kind of funny. It's, you know, you all of all the things that Never Hike Alone has done for me. Um, as far as, you know, being able to meet alumni, work with alumni and yeah. go to conventions and film festivals and things that like I'd always dreamed about doing and now I've been able to go and do, mm -hmm. yeah. um, what it was able to do was because it transcended the fan film and I was actually able to get in some rooms with some very smart people who run really cool companies and say, they, they look and go, you did this for $40,000. That's really cool. Now what we want you to do is write something original. And I would turn around and say, well, I have written a bunch of original stuff and so no one's ever read it. So how about you read some of my stuff? And they go, okay. So, you know, I pitched a bunch of ideas. I showed some stuff around and there's interest in some things, um, not so much in others. And so, you know, there's one idea that I think that's kind of kicked around a few places that people really dig. Um, it just requires, uh, me to write it because it was one of the ones that was in more of an early phase. It was more of an outline than it was, was a script. So, okay. uh, Nate who helped me with never heck alone is helping me with this one as a co-writer. Uh, we're in the process of writing it right now. And it's going to take some time to finish it and get it done right. Like we did Never Hike Alone. We submit it, get notes, going to play that dance for a little while um, until hopefully either someone buys it or allows me to shoot it and make it myself. Nice. Yes. Very good. Very good. Uh, cool. So, uh, yeah, before we completely say goodbye, um, I just, you know, I just wanted to tell you that um, not only myself, but a lot of other people I've talked to have really said that this movie kind of fits right in with some of their favorite Friday the 13th movies or I've even mm -hmm. heard some people say it's actually their favorite installment <laughs> of it and just the fact that people are including it as part of the franchise I think is a really cool thing that you set out to do this with you know the best of intentions in your heart in the right place I think really shows in the the production and the story and you know really the respect to the franchise and I know Marco and I are both big fans of Jason. We did this whole yes. show about our favorite horror icons, and Jason was both our, our favorite. And so, you know, it means a lot to us to see this kind of thing, too. So, yeah. um, you know, in addition to the fact that you did this movie and, and just out of respect, the fact that you have gotten some attention and now can try to, you know, I guess, you know, c create some original content, maybe even continue mm -hmm. this. I mean, who knows, maybe... If the if the companies that own the rights to it ever want to make something again, maybe they come to you for some ideas. So, yeah, you know, there's enough <laughs> interest in in the movie that you made here that you never know, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that would that. I mean, obviously, that's the dream. If, sure. If if they it, you know, I've, I've I've said it out loud, and I'll just keep saying it out loud. Like the minute anybody from the franchise wants to sit down and have a chat and come up mm -hmm. with, you know. Uh, a complete game plan for what to do with Friday the 13th. I think if they stop it, just another feature film that they're sh surely like they're coming up short. There's so much yeah. you can do in today's market with a character like Jason that can span on all the mediums. You know, we've already seen him do well with the games. We right. know he can do well in the theater. Mm -hmm. Netflix and YouTube are calling. Sure, there sure. are so many Friday the 13th stories that do not belong in the theater, but would do so well on YouTube or Netflix as a 30 minute show, even as a five minute music video, a, yeah, yeah. you know, an hour long series, a, you know, a series about Pamela, whatever yeah. it is. Right. The right. thing is, is that I'm such a nerd. I've been thinking about this stuff for so long. I've got a pitch for almost everything. Sure. And it's a, oh, it's a cool. world. I mean, it is a yeah. world of Friday the 13th that all centers oh, around sure. very yeah. you know specific, um, world that can fit together, but it also opens it up to, I think, 
you know, some of the fun you can have because you can do direct sequels to other films and just ignore everything else. Mm-hmm. You could do Friday the 13th Part 7 Volume 2 and have Tina's, you know, telekinesis kid come back, you know, right, right. for the fans that love that stuff. Put Kane Harder back in the costume and you got yourself, a, you know, a movie. Right. Uh, do somebody pitch me this. This is the greatest idea in the world. I want to see this done. I don't know if I would be the one who would get to do it and they get all the credit for it. But that Reggie the Reckless would come back and accidentally resurrect Roy and they would do Friday <laughs> Part 5 Volume 2 and it would, you know, and do like kind of a big spoof of Jason Lives, but it would be Roy Lives. It would be oh, really like, awesome. <laughs> I, I would. You know what I mean? And it's like you don't have yeah. to take yourself too seriously. It's an entertaining premise. You don't spend yeah, a ton yeah. of money on it. Just put that on YouTube. Absolutely. And just like everybody who watched uh, you know, anybody who watched the Uncharted uh, fan film this week, it's like I think that slowly but surely i think that they'll start to get it and maybe yeah. you do hire fans to do this maybe you go out there and you do a contest where somebody writes a screenplay and then you do like a project green light where somebody gets to make their own friday the 13th that'd be pretty yeah cool. why not you get a yeah, bunch well, of friday you know well like you said with the the character like jason he works on all these mediums and he's such an iconic character and even people that don't know horror just know the face and the look and I mean, everything that's Jason sells, action figures, merchandise, like, you know, he's, household he's name. very marketable. Absolutely. So mm-hmm. it's, yeah, it only and... makes sense to just do as much as they possibly can with it. But, you know, now they're just running the old shit into the ground with just, yeah. you know, here's new versions of the same old merchandise and repackaging of the same old movies. Oh. And so NECA. Yeah. Is it Nika or NECA? But whoever, uh, NECA. whatever. NECA. Yeah. NECA. They're killing me. Yeah, <laughs> get the new Jason with a new thumb. It's like, yeah, oh, thanks. Exactly. I know. You know what I mean? Well, like, I, yeah. I appreciate the new weapons, but sure, sure. Like... Yeah, they they do some great ones that they haven't done, and then they're just kind of like rebooting a lot of the same old stuff too. So and yeah, yeah just giving them extra toys to play with. But mm-hmm. yeah, I think one thing I accidentally did, and again, did not set out to do this, and I didn't even name it. Like fans named it Ghost Jason. You know, that right. came that came by accident. But I'm sitting here going, Hey, Sean and Victor. You could sell this. Yeah. Nice. You know how much you could sell Ghost Jason for? It's great. I just sold a doll. Like, and I right. can't like keep any of the money, but I'm just showing you that like there's a sieve of money here. Oh, yeah. That yeah. can keep these films going and keep everybody happy. Nice. Fans are willing to pay for this stuff. I've obviously shown they're going to show up even when it's not even official. So imagine yeah. if this guy was official. Right, imagine right. if you did have a chance to put him in the game and you could sell him for 10 bucks a pop or $5 a pop or whatever it is, whatever it costs mm-hmm. him to make a Jason. Like, there's a revenue stream here. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I'm not saying that to be greedy. I'm not saying that to be, you know, a super, um, you, you know, just like money monger. I'm saying sure. that in order to keep this series alive, it has to make money and it has to fund future well, right. things. Yeah, you know, that's... and fans are going to be there supported. And there's a respectful balance between the two. And I'm in, I personally think that Ghost Jason is a, could definitely be a piece of that puzzle that helps keep Friday going. Right. With what yeah. he can do. I mean, he's in the, the Friday the 13th puzzle game for free. All you got to do is um, do the daily death 13 right. times in a row and you get him. I'm actually working on that right now myself. That's <laughs> right. Cool. So am I. I'm like three days yeah, into nice. it. So, you know, so it's like it's it, this is how you do it. You got to create you can't you know, you obviously can't just keep rehashing the past. Um, you can a little bit if you want to in some some of the versions. But the more new Jason's you create. And the more new timelines you create, just the more you're going to be able to. I mean, we were talking a little bit before the, this podcast about Star Wars, all the, mm-hmm. the fiction that you read right. and and all that stuff, because there is a level of fan that is out there that will appreciate it. Mm-hmm. And 
you know, everybody wants to make, like we used to say this in animation, it's like everybody wants to make a Pixar film, a, a four-quadrant family film that everybody can enjoy and all fans from all over the world are going to go give you a billion dollars for your product. The thing is, is that in the modern film age, you can either make four-quadrant family films and make a billion dollars or you identify who your base is, who your fans are, not, again, not being mean, but how much are they worth? You know, how much are they willing to give towards something? Okay, now you build it for that price. And you make sure it's affordable and you make sure people can have it and it sustains. And the great thing about Jason is he can sustain in the box office. He can sustain on streaming services. He can, you know, he can make money in gaming and he can make money in figures. So as long as you're creating new products, there's going to be a revenue stream. Fans are going to get what they want because they get new stuff. And people who own the franchise are going to get what they want because they want to be rich. So (laughs) it's like it's a win-win situation. And the longer we sit on this legal issue, the longer that we argue about the money, um, you know, I can't step in and say, I mean, it's not my piece of the pie to, to argue about because I wasn't there in 1979 when they were writing all this stuff and putting in all the work. Um, I understand, but while they're arguing and not coming to a solution, money is, you know, going down the drain. Right. Exactly. And no one's getting anything right now. So who wins there? Nobody. Yeah. The fans aren't getting anything. Victor's not getting anything, and Sean's not getting anything. Right. So the longer that yeah. goes on, the longer everybody loses. Yeah, yeah. it's unfortunate, but it's mm-hmm. just the way things work, right? Yeah, it's just it's just a reminder. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, whatever they decide to do, hopefully, they just don't send them back to space. Yeah. <laughs> well, I will say in, in my, Wars, in my theory, well, in my theory of, of the Netflix world, that you can actually get Jason X Volume Two. Mm-hmm. Just put that in put that in your ten episode arc. Oh, yeah, you know, yeah, and if yeah. you put it wherever you want, but I would watch yeah. that. If yeah. I knew I was getting eight more other Fridays and that was just yeah. one of them, I'd actually celebrate. I'd be like, This is gonna be hilarious. Like, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, of yeah. course I'd watch it. Yeah. Yeah, just not, pick up right after he crashes into the lake. <laughs> <That's funny. laughs> right, right. No, I I think there is endless possibility though, you're right. And unfortunately things are just always been a mess with this franchise so uh we'll just have to wait and see like we have been yeah um, so i mean yeah and in the meantime it's now nice to be able to submit original work and and do it i mean my heart will always be in friday the 13th i'll always want to make a friday the 13th film but now that i could go and pursue other avenues and you know because i've always wanted to tell other films as, as well so yeah, it's, yeah. it's, well, it's sure. Well, sure, but and, a, and this could be yeah. always a thing a thing that can you know propel your career all obviously mm-hmm. so it's like you know hey is that that's the dude that made the uh you know the fan film and because how well that was done and and perceived and everything and uh you know you can always even if you don't get a chance to make the you know like i said your dream project you can always thank jason for that stepping stone when it happens because oh. i think it, it will happen for you well, I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, I think there there is a part of me, as much as I want to tell Never Hike Alone too, there is a part of me that's like, well, you know, after all this said and done, this has been kind of a cool addition mm-hmm. to the series. It's not official. It's, you know, but the fans are supported enough where it, it's felt good enough for me where I felt like I have now, to a certain degree, lived up to the dream that I've always wanted to do, which was just work on a Friday the 13th film. Mm-hmm. When I first you moved out here, I contributed to it. So I would have, you know, 10 years ago, I would have been the first in line to PA for a Friday the 13th film. I don't care who needed coffee. I would have gone sure. to wherever they needed it and been there just so I could, you know, stand behind the curtain and watch him chop someone's head off. You know, Absolutely. like hmm. that would have been my dream. And so to then, you know, it's kind of a lesson for people to learn out there. It's like you can sit there and wish for something for a long time and it may come true and it may not most likely not, or you just, you know, 
grab life by the balls and say, let's go. Yeah. Um, and you know, like I said, like never did I ever think any of what happens was going to happen when I first turned to my friend and say, Hey, you guys want to make a fan film? Um, this right. is not, this is not what you predict and you cannot predict it. And if you go off and you go in search of what this film has done, you're going to get lost. You're going to yeah. get lost in the minutia of whatever it is that you're going for other than concentrating on the characters and telling the best story that you possibly can. If you get lost in the social media world or if you get lost in, you know, the the game of trying to make as much money for the film as possible or anything else that can be a distraction away from what is it you love about this character and why do you want to tell this story? You can't go after it for fame <laughs> because I'm going to tell you, like, as as quote unquote, and I'm going to put that up there, like as famous as this movie is, it's still nothing. You know, I, I just walked around Mad Monster this weekend and the real stars are there. You know what I mean? Right. Like Kane Hodder's there. Tom was there. Larry was there. Tom Savini was there. Ronnie Hobbs was there. These are the people who have done it professionally. And, they're, you know, it's you're only there's, there's only so high you can get with a fan film. And you have to more enjoy it for the and the reason why I enjoy it so much is just hearing fans say, oh, my God, for the first time in 30 years, I felt like I watched a real Friday the 13th movie. Absolutely. For the first time since the 80s, I felt like I was watching Jason again. And that for me was my reward. I was like, thank you. I was like, good. Then my theory is correct. You know what I mean? It's kind of like my, like this nerd theory that I've been working on for all this time in my spare time when everyone thought I was nuts, Mm -hmm. like it worked. Cool. All right. I'm going to move on with my life now. And you know, now my inbox gets bombarded with stuff and I'm happy, you know, I had a, a a filmmaker from, you know, kid who's 18, send me his work. Yeah. Well, his mom sent me his work and I thought Mm -hmm. it was like, thing i'm like why are you sending it to me <laughs> like <laughs> anybody but it's just cool to see that inspire other people now too i mean there's fan films yeah. out there that have directly reached out to me and said we're doing this because you did it and now we want to do it i'm like That's go awesome. for it. but before you do let me just give you a couple warnings <laughs> like watch out <laughs> yeah. for this 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 and this but well, go have course. fun right you know i think i think the biggest mission is if you're going to go out and do a fan film no matter what franchise or what subject it is the two things you got to do is have fun First of all, don't get don't take yourself too seriously. Like this shouldn't be, you know, drama central. Everybody should out there having a good time. Second of all, be safe because especially with these horror films, if you're swinging machetes around and you're swinging axes around and you're trying to do anything, you're throwing people out second story windows or you're trying to do the things that we have done in Never Hike Alone. Totally go for it. But talk to the people who know how to do it, like stunt coordinators and VFX coordinators and find people who know how to do it professionally. Because if you don't know how to do it, you're not a professional. And just because you have a camera in your hand doesn't mean you're professional either. Being a professional is knowing when to ask for help and knowing when to sacrifice maybe production quality and Mm -hmm. production value for the safety of your crew. You know, no one. I don't like the, my biggest fear since I made this film is like, oh, my God, now someone's going to try and do something and someone's going to get hurt. Someone's going to get an axe in the head or someone's going to fall off a roof and they're going to turn around and say, well, he did it. <laughs> Let me try to recreate the never hike alone scene. <laughs> yeah, yeah like, it's just, just like they did because they, they swung real weapons around. No, we didn't. No, right. we did not. No, all, there was those rubber weapons most right. of the time yeah. we had made yeah. by a professional prop studio. You know, that's yes. the reason why we made money because we wanted professional props. Um, my, my actually my stunt coordinator yelled at me because I had an axe on set for reference. She was like, if this was a oh. SAG picture, you would have just got shut down. And I'm like, but it's just there so we can look at it. Right, she's, right, like, right. she's like, I'm not really giving you this stuff. I'm just telling you like right. in the future for your reference. Sure. And I was like, can I just use it for this shot? Because it's just a close up. 
And she was like, if no, <laughs> like, you can't right. get that anywhere near your actors. And it took a long time of convincing and practicing to be like, listen, I think we can use the real weapons. We just need to do it like this. And this is how right. we cheat it. And this is how I'll put your person, you know, so it, it challenged me as a director to get what I wanted, but keep people safe. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, for people out there who want to just go out and do fan films, it's, it's a lot of fun, but it can be dangerous. And yeah. if you're out there, if you're an untrained person in a mask, who you're looking through a hockey mask, you can't see as it is. And you're swinging a bladed machete at somebody. You're right. doing it. Yeah, you know, this isn't life. This isn't real Jason. Like this yeah. is, this is dangerous stuff. You know, I, you know, I was stabbed on this set. Like I forgot to switch out a prop knife and got my hand stabbed. Um, I was building the set and cut my arm on, on glass, you know, mm -hmm. not even using a weapon. Andrew punched, uh, our stunt coordinator in the face, not our stunt coordinator, but our stunt Jason in the face when he had the mask on and split his knuckle open down to the bone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you guys want to see a continuity error, if you're watching the third act where he's fighting Jason in the outside and inside, um, watch Kyle's hand because we filmed that at two separate times. And at one point it healed. And one point we had to like butterfly stitch it. So it wouldn't bleed all over the place, which I, I was like, just, okay. I was like, just let blood go everywhere. Like, this is gonna be great. <laughs> just, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just use it. Use that. Yeah. Uh, go with it. Yeah. Yeah. But you can actually see that uh, sometimes he's wearing a band aid and sometimes he's not. I, I got you. So, so there's little things like that, but you know, and, and again, it's like at the time you're like, Oh my God, we don't have a band aid on his finger. Everyone's going to notice and they're all going to get mad at me. <laughs> And then they're gonna get mad at you. Right? Yeah, mm -hmm. be like this idiot. Yeah, or an asshole. This film lost all credibility. Right. Yeah, not all out the window. Now he yeah. doesn't know what he's doing. But you know, and then you watch the film a thousand times with people, and nobody notices anything. All the mistakes that you notice, where you're like, exactly. oh, I'm having course, heart palpitations yeah. in the front row. Like they're gonna notice. <laughs> they're you know laughing I mean? at me. Yeah, yeah. But, exactly. Yeah, they're all gonna laugh at you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so there's that. But I mean, again. And, and those are times where I think I probably took myself probably too seriously when I was in the editing bay thinking like, oh, my God, my career's over. He's got the, the Band-Aid on in this shot and the Band-Aid's not on in that shot. Like, here it is. Like, there, there's the door closing on my directorial career right there. <laughs> um, rather than being like, man, it was a lot of fun to, like, throw yeah. him to the table, you know. And, yeah. and the fact that we came up, you know, and it was hard. You know, there were hard things, too. I mean, we shot one night when it was 27 degrees out. Oh, shit. Um, yeah. In May. It well, was supposed to wow. be. There was supposed to be no more snow and it ended up snowing on us that in the final scene where he gets up after it's the double hit mm -hmm. and he gets yeah. up, he walks away and says, F this. It's snowing. Oh, right. Look, right. Kind of looks like rain. <laughs> I was like, yeah, it looks like rain. Yeah, yeah. But it's snowing. And we were all like flabbergasted on set. Like, can you believe this? Uh, but luckily we had like a really cool, cool crew. We had like the vans parked out back behind the, the, the cabin and um, yeah. just running heat. But um you know, it was just having a when you're out there having fun with your friends, it's like you kind of all just hold hands and run into it together. Yeah. Nice. Very cool. Uh, so why don't you let everyone know where to keep up with what you have going on? Um, obviously, we know we can find the movie on YouTube, and I'll insert a link for that in the show description. But just, um, you know, to keep up with wh whatever you're acting in or <laughs> your uh, your possible upcoming productions or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Um, everything we announce will go through uh, wompstompfilms.com. If you don't know how to spell that, it's W-O-M-P-S-T-O-M-P-F-I-L-M-S. Um, so we have you know the website, and on the website, you're going to want to go to our social media pages, Facebook, um, Instagram, and Twitter. I would say we're the best at keeping up 
uh, Instagram. Okay. Just because a lot of the stuff that comes out of a lot of our announcements are done with a lot of cool graphic design and things like that. So we use Instagram a lot. That feeds to all of our other pages. Okay. Uh, websites more for if you want to look up old news on us and stuff like that. Or if you want to contact us, there's a contact button there. Um, if you ever got to reach out, you want a question. Um, we are doing a Blu-ray DVD wait list because we are ordering extra copies of the Blu-ray. Okay. So if you want to write to us at contact at Womp Stomp Films, you can get on the wait list for that because just in case, you know, some Blu-rays break or whatever happens, whatever happens during the uh, during sure. that process, we want to have extra for our backers. And then whatever's left over, we're going to allow, I don't know, it might be 50 people, it might be 100 people to go in and kind of scoop up what's left. And all that nice. money will be donated to a few different um, charities, some doing with wildlife, wildlife preservation. Some of it has to do with like health issues and things like that. Certain fans have contacted us throughout the throughout our time. And there's different causes that we feel that oh, could awesome. use some support. So we're just going to, you know, at the end of the day, once everything's paid for, we just ball that money up and spread it out between a few different um, charities and, and call it a day. Very cool. Nice. 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 Yeah, that's that's a. Uh... It's, it would be something cool to own. Uh, I'm sure that you'll probably sell out all of those copies as well. And mm-hmm. a lot of people are, are pretty hardcore collectors and would love to have that to uh, put right up there in the 13th spot on their Friday the 13th collection. <laughs> exactly. so. Well, we know, we, get, yeah. we do know that if we ever need to raise money for Never Hike Alone 2, I think all I will have to sell is Never Hike Alone VHS tapes. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. I get yes. letters about that every single – we only made uh, like 76 of them. Okay. Um, <laughs> We only originally we only did 26. I did two versions of 13, like two different color tapes, and then I got okay. yelled at because I didn't make enough. So I made 50 more yeah. of another version, and so and those sold out in like 10 minutes. So I yeah, think yeah. I think we're going to do never I go on too. I'm just going to sell VHS tapes. Yeah, yeah. Why ride, not? ride that all the way to the goal line for sure. Yeah, uh, no, that's awesome. And again, you know, thanks so much for giving us yeah. your time and so much information about the movie and just you know kind of your vision for the whole thing and i mean really it, it's more i feel like we spoke more about uh, your feelings about friday the 13th as a whole more than anything else really which is shown in the movie like i had said before the way that mm-hmm. you have this this great respect for it and stuff it really shows yeah. in the movie absolutely shows so uh, thank you i appreciate that yeah cool and uh i think as far as uh, well, let's see for our podcast if you are listening to this, you know where to find the show, obviously. But if you are on iTunes, please leave us a rating and review. Uh, keep up with our Instagram and our Facebook, which is both under Who Will Survive Horror Podcast. And I think that's about it. Uh, so until yeah. next time, we will we will be here and working on some new stuff. And I think that's it. Anything else for you guys, Marco? Oh, I just wanted to, again, uh, thank Vincent for coming on. And I, I had a blast just, you know, sitting here for two hours listening to you talk. I wish I had a lot more input, but I, I'm just so kind of like, uh, I don't know what the right word is, uh, enamored about the process and such insightful, you know, just listening to how you talk about the, the franchise itself and the fan film way to go and all that stuff. It was just great. So, again, thank you very much. Um I, I just can't wait to listen back to this, you know, oh. and take notes. So, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, you know, thanks for giving me a platform. It's been great talking to you guys. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I love Friday. I can obviously talk about it all day. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> sure. Uh, we probably could go on for four more hours. I can, we can break down each film. We'll have a great time. <laughs> exactly. Um, but I know you guys have lives and, uh, and the people Not out really. there have lives. So maybe, maybe another time. We'll do like a second <laughs> yeah. installment of Friday the, Friday the 13th Masterclass with uh, right, right. Nice. <laughs> 
Very cool. With Very Vincente cool. De Santi. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay for you to do the accent because you are exactly. Italian. So. It's my yeah, yeah, right. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm the only one that's not allowed to do it. No, you're not. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's our accent. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, great. Uh, yeah, thanks again, and we'll see you guys next time. Hear me, hear me loud and clear yes yeah it sounds good yes, sir yeah you cool, can cool. you can turn the video off if you want it just you know just robs oh from yeah the bandwidth, I just, so yeah let's see uh, we always do it without that way we can't see each there other we go. picking okay. our noses and stuff I oh but i wanted it. to see that yeah, i know paul always declines <laughs> for some reason cool 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 Isn't that the way all the newscasters do it? They're just out there with the, with the suit tux and then sitting in their skivvies? Yeah, yeah, it's like, like uh, <laughs> no, nothing from the waist down. It's a bottomless party, I think they call that. <laughs> bottomless party, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs>